Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Years ago, H.G. Wells visualized roads such as these in his science fiction fantasies. And today, they're a reality. You're listening to The Afternoon Commute with John Adams and Chris Kendall. It is Cinco de Mayo, May 5th. 2015. It is the afternoon commute with Chris Kendall. I am John Adams, riding along as always. And today with us, uh, we are very proud to announce that we have Lennon Honor uh, with us. How are you doing today, sir? Oh, I'm doing just fine, and I'm having a, a wonderful time already. We had a, a brief uh, talk before we got started, and I'm looking forward to getting even deeper. Yeah, and uh, one of the one of the things I asked you was uh, if you had a read of book uh, called Subliminal Seduction by uh, Brian Wilson Key, and um, maybe you could uh, just tell everyone a little bit about yourself and uh, how you came about to uh, the knowledge that you do about uh, subliminals, and and then we can uh, get into the 9-11 subliminals. Yes, sure, sure. So my name is Lennon Honor. I'm a husband and father in the first place. My wife and I have been together for 14 years, and we have five beautiful children, uh, the oldest is 11. The youngest is three, about to be four. We have three boys and two girls. And one of the things that uh, really sparked my interest in terms of subliminal messages happened to be the fact that as a father, I really wanted to protect my children. And I say protect, there's protection. There's the physical protection, of course. There's the emotional protection. There's psychological protection. Um, and when we talk about the psychological protection, we're talking about protecting our children minds from things that would manipulate them, uh, give negative thoughts and ideas of the world, negative thoughts and ideas about themselves, uh, get them to buy, uh, be interested in buying products that they're not necessarily interested in, these different forms of psychological manipulation. And it was out of that um, interest of keeping my children's consciousness safe that I started to look into what people call subliminal messages. And um, one of the things that happened for me uh, many, many years ago, and I think my oldest son, he was two at the time, so this is going back about 10 years ago, was uh, I was, I was at that time I was reading a lot of quote-unquote alternative information, people like David Icke, uh, Jordan Maxwell, um, uh, let's see, so many different people. Um, uh, even uh, for a while, Alex Jones, I was watching some of his uh, podcasts going back 10 years ago, um, Let's see who else I can tell. Oh, there's so many different people. But, but the point is, I was reading through one of David Mack's books. I think it was his book. Um, uh, what was that book? It's going back 10 years ago now. Um, uh, the, the big, the big secret, or the big secret to that effect. And in that book, he made reference to subliminal messages and how subliminal messages can impact the subconscious. And he gave reference to an author, uh, Dr. Wilson Brian Key. Um, and inside the book, he was referring to Dr. Wilson Brian Key, uh, his analysis of a Michael Jackson song and video titled, titled Beat It. And 
based upon the analysis that was exhibited inside the the, the book, which was it was referenced from uh, Wilson Brian Key, I really took a strong interest in looking deeper into subliminal messages. And in that book, um, The Biggest Secret, uh, he referenced uh, Wilson, uh, Dr. Wilson Brian Key's book. Um, what, did, uh, what was the other book? Okay, so there was. Uh, oh my goodness, this is going back such a long way. It's hard for me to remember. Um, the book that we were that we were talking about before we started the show. The Age of Manipulation? Yes, yes, The Age of Manipulation. I'm sorry. Uh, uh-huh. And this is going back a decade ago. Uh, the Age of Manipulation. So I went and purchased that book, and as I read through the book, I was totally engrossed in the concepts and ideas when we talk about subliminal messages of subconscious mind. This got me into studying more about psychology, which I studied in college, but to look at it from a manipulation standpoint, that really sparked my interest. And let me just say this, that the way that subliminal messages work in terms of um, just as a foundational, uh, fundamental uh, knowledge base here is that subliminal means sub, which means below, and then liminal means a line of demarcation between your conscious awareness and your subconscious awareness. Um, so there's a, a line, and anything that is projected below that threshold of auditory and visual perception, meaning from your conscious mind to your subconscious mind, anything below that threshold that you don't see consciously or you don't interpret consciously, it's being interpreted on the subcon- on a subconscious level. And so that's why any message, subliminal message, is going directly into the subconscious mind. Now, this was fascinating to me because what, what I was finding was that how subliminal messages work, symbolism work, it's not to impact a person's conscious awareness. It's, it's designed to, they are designed to impact their subconscious mind. And what happens is, is that if you can manipulate a person's subconscious mind using subliminal messages, again, sub meaning below, liminal, below the normal auditory or visual perception, they won't be consciously aware of it. And therefore, you can change, you can modify a person's behavior. You can change how a person thinks because the subconscious mind has a big influence on how we think about things consciously. And you can, you can basically control someone that way. So when we talk about mind control, subliminal messages is one of the preeminent means that, are, that is used. And see, all of this came out of my um, my desire to protect my children's consciousness from the different degrees of manipulation that's out there. And you'll find subliminal messages in the cartoons, you find them in the movies, and the television shows, and the magazines, so forth and so on. And, I, and in order for us to protect our children and to protect ourselves, we have to have a basic understanding of how subliminal works, subliminal messages work, but then also how to see them consciously. When you see them consciously, they no longer have a subconscious effect, and then they become mute. If you don't see them consciously, then they will impact you on a subconscious level. So this is how I got started into this particular area of dealing with subliminal messages, and it's been like a decade-long journey. I've uh, produced eight documentaries dealing with it. I even have a documentary series that's like six hours long, The Truth About Subliminal Messages, How to Protect Your Subconscious Mind. But all this comes out of me as a father wanting to keep my children's conscious, conscious mind safe from the subconscious manipulation. Yeah, that's a really interesting um I think one of the first things I ever read that kind of turned me on to it uh, was The Hidden Persuaders by Vance Packard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't read uh, that. Yeah, that was, and that, that's talking about some of that stuff back in the 50s, and, you know, that was all having to do with advertisement. But um, tell me what you think about this. I think most things, and, and I, I listened to uh, your your podcast series on the 9-11 uh, subliminal messaging and I think a lot of this stuff is advertising, uh, in a sense. You know, like, like when, when they're advert, they're advertising terrorism, they're advertising fear, um, like, like you talk about, 
um, but you don't really put it into the context of being an advertiser. I, I was just phrasing it that way. Um, but that's what they are. And, and so when you know that subliminals and uh, things to manipulate your subconscious are all used in advertising and uh, public relations and that type of stuff, then they really are advertising terrorism and fear. What do you think of that? Oh, no, absolutely. Uh, that's another way of looking at it. That's coming from the vantage point of advertisements. Um, the subliminal messages are incorporated into advertisements. I haven't thought of it, but it's true. It's true. I haven't thought of it in terms of September 11th and all the terrorist propaganda over the last, well, my goodness, 14 years in and around September 11th of every single year, six weeks leading up to September, every single year since September 11th, 2001. A lot of um, advertisements, if you will. It's really just propaganda about potential terror threats, Al-Qaeda and Al-ISIS, Osama bin Laden, plane crashes, uh, national security issues, uh, imminent threats, you know, um, uh, and terror threats, nothing ever happens, but it's not designed to happen. It's just selling fear. In other words, it's advertising fear. Um, and fear has a major impact on the psychological condition of the human species when we talk about mind control. But as you state, um, we can look at it as advertise, advertisements. It's advertising. Um, and in, in other words, people are being led to buy into things. Okay, so it's not like a physical purchase when they're advertising, you know, let's say a, a new handbag or some shoes or, you know, a new car, those types of advertisements. These are, this is advertisements for terrorist propaganda. And it's not that people are, are, are buying, you know, physically with, with money, buying a product, but they are buying a, 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 a idea. They are buying a thought. They're, they are buying into a particular mentality that's, that's fear-based. So that's why a lot of people in and around September 11th, every single year, they become a lot more fearful because their subconscious trauma associated with September 11th is being triggered by these advertisements about potential terror threats, Al-Qaeda, Osama bin Laden. This happens every single year for the last 14 years. Nothing has ever happened. It's not designed to actually take take place any of these potential terror threats credible but unconfirmed terror threats uh, nothing is ever designed to happen but it is selling a product in a sense of a particular mentality about us always being in a state of perpetual fear always be on in a state of high alert where in point of fact nothing ever really happened so yes you phrasing it that way it does make sense it is a form of advertising it's advertisements in this case it's not necessarily a physical product but it is a thought an idea a way of thinking about the world to always feel fearful to be in a state of perpetual fear and therefore always to externalize power now we need someone to come and save the day i.e. someone like Barack Obama or anyone else, anyone else who was in office or, you know, whatever the case may be, always to externalize power onto someone else. And as we externalize power, that's how we're stuck inside a state of perpetual uh, control. So that's what we're buying into, in essence, the externalization of power. Yeah, because the it, you know, uh, government itself as a product, you know, they they they're ostensibly providing services to the people and then one of the things they always fall back on is like oh public the, whatever's in the interest of public safety even though you could point out countless examples that the government is actually contrary to the well-being of the public but uh, that that is uh you know it would fall under the category of pub public relations was which is basically manipulating uh manipulating um people's consciousness uh, uh, in a, in a in a uh, deliberate way, and then uh, you know Edward Bernays, I guess he's he's considered the the father of modern public relations. But it's interesting how you could take something like um, that normally would fall under the category of propaganda, 
and put a positive sounding name on it. And then now in the modern day, public relations is considered sort of like a legitimate uh, industry in and of itself. Uh, yes, and it, 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 but it is still propaganda. <laughs> yeah, still propaganda. They just changed the name, and that's like, well, that's that's just natural, it, right? That you you change yeah, the you name can, of propaganda you, to make it something else. Yeah, you can take public relations classes at any uh, university. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so in other words, the public relations. In other words, you're manipulating the relationship that you have, or, or your client has, or a product has to the masses, that's public relations, to the public. And, and even if what you are advertising, okay, uh, through the public relationship campaign, is even if it's not necessarily in the best interest of the public, the public can buy into it if you issue the right type of propaganda. So in other words, if you, and, and as an example, government, the notion of, of government, government actually means mind control. There's people who have broken this down uh, and look at word origin and so forth and so on. Well, government really means uh, mind control. And so here we have, this is what I mean, this is a public relationship strategy in and of itself. It's been going on for, for centuries now. Um, we can even say thousands of years. Propaganda has been going on for thousands of years. But you can take something that means mind control, and then you can issue it to the public. And through public relations, i.e. propaganda, okay, you can get people to a point where they believe that somehow government is in their best interest, even though government literally means mind control. <laughs> you, you see, now, now I'm not proposing that somehow government doesn't have a place, but what I'm saying is that people have to be clear in terms of what government is, is ultimately it functions to do. And, and the reason why so many people have externalized so much power, here we go again, has, have externalized so much power onto government is because all of the advertisement in terms of why the government is, the public relations system, in terms of why government is needed on certain levels, has been going on for such a long time that it has manipulated people's mentality and their conscience to now they buy it, now they, hear they go they buy this particular product that they need government for all these different reasons. And again, there is some need, okay, because obviously we have not evolved as a species to a particular degree that we can, we can self-maintain ourselves and, uh, you know, self-govern ourselves. We haven't gotten to that point. However, to, to, the, to the degree to which government controls people these days, there is an extreme imbalance. How do you sell that imbalance as being necessary or even a good thing? You do that through propaganda and you do that through public relations, and this is precisely how uh, government works every single year or, or every single four years in particular. We look at the... Um, of elections that come up for president, they always talk about the same things. You know, they always talk about gay uh, rights or, or gay marriage. They always talk about um, immigration. They always talk, nowadays they talk a lot about um, national security. They always talk about balancing the budget. You know, th these are the the same key points that they always make. Nothing ever changes. <laughs> okay, so the next four years they make the same promises. Nothing ever changes. How is that possible? Well, it's possible because when people are put in a state of mind control, control through the media manipulation and through the propaganda we want to call it public relations, people lose track of time. They don't have a reference point to say, wait a minute, they already made this promise four years ago. Nothing has changed <laughs> since. Why would I buy into it this time? They lose track of time. That's one of the elements of mind control. So, yes, government in and of itself, how it functions is through public relations, and public relations is nothing more than propaganda. It's a nice way of saying propaganda. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. Yeah, I liked on your podcast, you, you talked a lot about uh, externalization of power. I think that's one of your... Um, main uh, strong points uh, that you make that I really haven't uh, heard a lot of other people talk about. And um, and uh, one, of, one of the main points that you talk about, uh, just to step away, uh, just to, we're engaging in a non-linear type conversation here, uh, to step away from the government for a second, is how people externalize power onto the media, which uh, is interesting in that book, uh, 
subliminal seduction, one of the things I remember from it, um, I was just rereading it over before uh, we had uh, the interview, is uh, how the media or the television uh, is part of the family. It's like the big brother or the little sister, whatever, whatever it may be. But it's part of the family, and you listen to what the television or, or the media has to say, and you take in all of the opinions, and then, you know, those opinions become your own because, like you said, so you're giving power to the media. Um, you're also giving power to the alternative media um, as well as the mainstream media. And so the alternative media, you know, uh, this, is, this is just my own thought here. You see, the, the alternative media, for the most part, they're kind of parroting what the what the mainstream media is saying, and then they're kind of putting their own spin on it. So it's the same information no matter what. Yes, yes. Uh, yes, I, I talk so, about this in, in my book, The 911 Fear-Based Mind Control Program, that the alternative news, it sources about 90 to 95% of its content from the mainstream news, but they just put a conspiratorial spin on it. But it's still the same information, and in the end, it still causes people to externalize power. You're absolutely right. Yeah, can, yeah. go ahead and uh, tell our audience about uh, externalizing power onto the media. Yes, yes. So what you were referring to uh, with that book, and yes, I, I read that book as well. Again, this is um, Dr. Wilson, Brian Key. Um, this particular um, issue of the the media being, and, and really uh, he was giving reference to the television because those books are, are, are quite old at this point, but you can now throw in the, the Internet, you can throw in the radio, you can, you know, whatever the case may be, any form of media. Um, the way that media has been embraced within people's family is as if it is a family member. And I would propose that nowadays the, the depths of media manipulation and media control over people's consciousness is now that media is perceived to be not just a family member, but a God being. So in other words, the amount of, of, of power that people give to media when they're watching the television, it's almost as if it's, you know, the television is, is set up inside the room and it's like on an altar and everyone comes and they pay homage and they sit there and they listen and, and, and they accept and they start to embrace the thoughts and ideas that they see there. And it becomes a ritualized event. There are families who get together and we're going to have, you know, television. We're going to sit down as a family and have, uh, you know, watch TV. Okay, well, well, let's let's think critically about what we're doing here. And what are we watching? Okay, are you watching something that is manipulative? Are you watching something that is wholesome? This type of thing. But the point is that if you are, and in particular when we talk about the mainstream news and the alternative news, if that is what you are, are seeking to, to um, you know, involve yourself in, and especially as a family unit, what you're doing is in essence you're accepting fear-based programming. Because what mass media sells in terms of mainstream news and alternative news, again, this is the advertisement, is war, uh, excuse me, uh, death, destruction, war, and gore. Those four things, you can also throw in sex. So anything that has to do with these five issues, these are the controversy, these five issues in conflict, you throw these seven issues, you throw these things in the mix. This is mainly what you're going to be receiving. Now, what we have is that this family member who has a voice is spewing these seven topics mainly. There's other topics too, but these primary seven topics. And not only is this family member spewing and talking about, okay, and, and we're sitting and everyone's sitting and watching, but also the, 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 whoever's talking on the screen is perceived to be the authority figure. So now they're just not a family member. Now they're the head of the household. And in some cases, they're now perceived to be even beyond the head of the household. They're the God, the God being. And so this is problematic because what people have to do in order to get to that level where they get their information from the mainstream news and alternative news and they begin to to shape their opinions about themselves, the opinions about the world, the opinions about others, so forth and so on, it shows and it exhibits 
the degree of power that mass media has. And uh, the only way that this is possible is by people externalizing their power onto that television screen, onto that Internet, onto that radio station. So this is why we have to be very, um, very careful. If there's nothing wrong with watching that television show or watching the movies or, or watching or listening to a song on the radio or listening to a podcast or, or whatever the case may be. But we have to be very careful about what is taking place when we're and what we're watching, the, the type of content that we're listening to, the type of content that we're viewing and under what circumstances we're viewing the, 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 the content. All of this makes all of this matters. So part of what I'm saying is, is that the only way that mass media that has been able to forge such a great power to influence people's minds is because people have been led to externalize power. And the permanent means of having people to uh, externalize power is to give them traumatizing content that ultimately puts them in a state of fear. And out of this, this state of fear, people begin to externalize power. And this is precisely why much of the content that you find in the mainstream news, much of the content, most of the content that you find in alternative news, is fear-based, to put people in a state of fear, to traumatize people, to cause people to come under levels of fear, and as they come under the levels of fear, they externalize power, and once they externalize power, you can maintain them in a state of control. One last thing I want to say in my book, I write that the greatest means of control is not actualized through physical uh, subjugation, brute force, uh, or, uh, or military might. The greatest means of control is actualized to the manipulation of the psychological condition of the human species. And the best way to manipulate the psychological condition of the human species is to put the human species in a state of fear. Again, out of this fear, people be, are traumatized. They begin to externalize power. And once they externalize power, you can control them indefinitely. And this is precisely how mass media works 24-7. Yeah, I was trying to make that uh, that point last night on uh, on, on the uh hoaxbusters call I, I do every week and um you know i i tried to use the analogy of if you you know observe animals in the wild like instinctually many times you'll see animals um I, I forget the technical term for it but they they will do different things to make themselves appear bigger than they are to their to their um uh, a predator or yes. another animal mm -hmm. or yeah right yeah and um i think that that is that is what the government or the so-called authorities or you know actually what what it actually is, is the the government is nothing it's just you know they they act they act on the behest of the people you know behind the scenes that actually you know control and run the government and not the people but you know through the media and perception management they've they put this stuff out into in into uh and inject it into people's minds so that um they also want people to be in fear of the government but when you i was trying to make the point that you know if you take the everybody that works in a government agency and you take them in the aggregate and you look at them it's like they're only like a small percentage of the population and in relation to the population itself so i mean they're greatly outnumbered by you know many orders of magnitude and the whole the whole thing with the perception management is to create the perception in the mind that they are much bigger than they actually are yes 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 absolutely in point of fact that's one of the main thrusts of the alternative media is to make the, the government seem to be much greater, much more powerful than it actually is. You gave a, an excellent example. Animals, they do that. Um, they will uh, momentarily modify their behavior so that they look bigger, 
right? Or their mod- even mm-hmm. their, their behavior or even their body. Like some, they'll blow up, they'll, they'll take in more wind and, that's it, and it busts them up a little bit, you know. Uh, human beings do the yeah. same thing. If you ever see a human being, they're about to, you know, fight someone or what have you, they'll do the same thing. They'll, you know, they'll, yeah. they'll, you know, they'll hunch up and they'll make themselves appear to be. What, well, part of what happens in terms of the propaganda is that to promote um, government as being this overwhelming force. Like we, we, we tend to have this issue as human beings that, that we always have to externalize power onto. And sometimes it's a group dynamic. You know, some people, they externalize their power specifically to, let's say, police officers or some other people to the military, other people to the government. Some people, all three, uh, you know, there are people racially, you know, they'll externalize power to white people. They ex- externalize power to black people, externalize power onto Mexican folk or Latinos, what have you. So it goes on and on and on. There's this, for whatever reason, we have been, um, we're, we're at a point in our quote unquote intellectual evolution where we seek to externalize power. And it, and it is a problem because oftentimes what happens is, uh, mass media in terms of the manipulation component, it uses that to its advantage. So we're always given something to externalize power to Al Qaeda, ISIS. Um, we're always Osama bin Laden. Mm-hmm. Um, we're always given something to externalize power, some potential terror threat. Nothing ever really happens, but we are always given some potential terror threat. So what I'm saying is that part of the manipulation uh, process is to make people feel as if they are in a situation where they're going up against overwhelming odds. And as a consequence, there's not much that they can do about it. So ultimately, what do they do? They externalize power. And this uh, this can also be applied to what people perceive to be this megalithic government uh, that is so powerful or some agency of the government that is so powerful. But this is, again, an, an issue of perception. Our, our, our perceptions have been managed to such a degree that we have externalized power and given more power to something. And, and the more power we give to it, the more powerful it seems, even though it really has no power in essence. Lennon, um, I know you talk about, uh, you know, uh, in your 9-11 talk that you're not, you're not focused on the, you know, uh, the who, what, why, you know, when, where, and how of, Nine eleven going down, mm-hmm. and and you want and and what you said is is uh, that, <clears throat> pardon me, but you said is, is that you want to uh, get people just to notice that it was a psycho you know for for lack of a better term it was you know psychological warfare on the public yes, and and once people can become aware of that then they can kind of move forward into the who what why when when where and how and I, I really like that idea now like take someone for myself who you know kind of uh looked into that a little uh i'd say more of them a little bit and so you know like whatever my personal opinion happens to be on that is uh you know i I think 9-11 involved a lot of uh perception management and a lot of media fakery Mm -hmm. And, and so like someone like myself what advice would you give me um, after I've realized that, you know, uh, 9-11 was media fakery and I know that, uh, there was, uh, you know, it was a psychological warfare event on top of it. I've already, I've already realized what you said. Plus, I, I, I pretty much figured out how they did it. What, what advice would you give me from there? Well, if you if you've already processed the traumatizing effect of the event, and I would propose that that's the most important thing for anyone to do. And the reason why is that any given trauma, if if you have not healed from that trauma, you will never have a clear perspective as to what actually taken what actually took place. 
So in the case of September 11th, a lot of people, it's, it's still to this day an emotional, emotionally charged topic. And the problem is, is that no one will ever be able to come to, to the truth about September 11th if, if their hurt emotions are involved or if their traumas are involved because you will never have a clear intellectual perception of um, the facts or the evidence that is there. Um, so what I'm saying is, and this is why in my book, uh, uh, the 911 Fear-Based Mind Control Program, which takes a, a look at the psychological impact of the trauma of September 11, uh, 2001, I'm very clear that I, I, don't, I don't talk about who, uh, who I believe carried it out, who, what, where, why, when, and how, those particular issues, although I do have an opinion on those issues. But if what, that's not important to me at this point. What's important to me is to help people to heal the trauma that's associated with that event. And again, it's a subconscious trauma. It's a trauma that most people are oblivious to, and mass media uses that particular submerged subconscious trauma as a tool of psychological warfare. And in the book I explain, that's what I call the 911 Fear-Based Mind Control Program. You can trigger that trauma at particular times in the year, and if you, if you trigger that trauma, people start feeling fearful all over again. They begin to externalize power all over again. That's what's been happening every single year in the six weeks leading up to September 11. So this is what I'm saying. If, if our traumas are consistently being uh, triggered that's surrounding a particular event, and we're in an emotionally traumatized state, how are we going to have the intellectual faculty to get to the bottom line of, of who did it, what, where, why, when, and how? And what I'm saying is, is that you cannot have clear intellectual uh, uh, insight into any given thing when you are in a state of perpetual fear because fear itself compromises the intellectual process. So that's why I, I propose for people to, in the first place to heal the trauma, and then you can begin to look at the evidence that is out there uh, so that you can ascertain uh, well, who did it, what, where, why, when, and how. Now, if, if there is an individual who has done both, then what I would suggest is that you take it to the next level, and that would be to share the information that you have found as it relates to um, the evidence that you have, the, the, the evidence of what took place, who did it, what, where, why, and, and how, and then incorporate, when you share that information, make sure you incorporate the, the value and importance of other people taking the time to actually also go through the healing process of the trauma itself. And, and, and let me explain why that's important. Because this is such a very important topic, because even if you present people with a level of truth as it relates to what took place on September 11th and who the culprit, so forth and so on, and they have not healed their trauma, they're going to react emotionally based upon the subconsciously submerged trauma. So there's not going to be anything that you're going to say that's going to register in their mind consciously, intellectually speaking, because their intellect has been compromised because of all of the, the emotions, the negative emotions that is based upon the traumatizations. And so, therefore, your truth simply triggers their trauma. It triggers their unresolved trauma. That's why people, we have to get to the point where we, in the first place, heal the, the, the global traumatizing effect that September 11th has had on us as a species, the psychological impact that it has had on us as a species. Um, as an example, a lot of the reasons why, when even when you start bringing up, because I remember when I was watching uh, videos like Loose Change, I did all my research and all that. I look into all, I've been some of those side the book with you know the different uh, alternative uh, perspectives on September 11th. I will say this that the mainstream version of events is fanciful. I will say that. Uh, beyond that, I will leave it at that. Um, the point being is that even when I was getting into the like films like Loose Change and September Clues and you know going and really going on this quest of reading David Icke book on I can't remember what that book was called, but I read his book on, on September 11th. Going through all of this information, watching the, the documentaries and, and so forth and so on. When I would share that information with other people. Their reaction was so emotional. And at a certain point, I was wondering, why are they so emotional about this? And at first, I thought, well, maybe they just want to be ignorant. Maybe they don't want to look into alternative information, right? Maybe they just – but that wasn't it. The issue was that I was presenting what I believed to be true, but, but me presenting it, even if it was true, 
wasn't registering uh, in them. What it was doing, it was it was simply triggering their subconscious trauma that's associated with September 11th. And far too many of us, we we have not looked at the trauma, and, and it is so underestimated. It has been used. The trauma itself has been used as a tool of psychological warfare for the last 14 years, and it has had profound impact on the human species. And yet, so many of us are oblivious to this. So what I'm saying is that if you present the truth as to what took place on September 11th, make sure you also incorporate the need and the, and the importance of people taking the time to heal the trauma of September 11th, the psychological trauma that is submerged within the subconscious mind that most people are oblivious to, if they do not heal the trauma, no truth that you present to them about September 11th is going to register consciously. All it's going to do is trigger their trauma, and as a consequence, they become emotional, they become fearful, and this is counterproductive, and this is one of the main issues that I, I take in terms of with the alternative media, even if they're presenting alternative versions that may be more factual than the, the uh, mainstream version, Ultimately, it still functions to simply trigger the trauma in people, and people become emotional all over again. So it, it really is counterproductive. So that key element of healing that trauma. So someone like you who has healed the trauma, but you have also got the information and the evidence to, to prove uh, what took place, uh, who, what, where, why, when, and how, share that information, but make sure you also help people to heal the subconscious trauma associated with September 11, 2001. Thank you. I appreciate that. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. What do you think of using like humor and ridicule to like uh, to, to confront the whole perce- perceived terrorist threat and all that? I've 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 done that personally myself, and, and I notice people respond to that better. Yes. Yes, humor. I do incorporate, especially when I lecture, I incorporate a lot of humor. I really do. I think it's important because a lot of us, um, how we got into the information, we were traumatized because of how the information was presented. Um, oftentimes, the information is presented in a way that makes people feel less than. You know, It makes people feel as if they are against overwhelming odds. Uh, it makes people feel as if there's nothing that they can do. Um, that, ha- that has a, a very profound emotional effect on people and a psychological effect, too. And we have to be very careful about that. So I try to keep it as light as possible. The topics that I address in terms of, of media manipulation and subliminal messages and mind control, these are serious topics. And there are times where I have to, t- to take a very serious approach. However, I do seek to incorporate uh, humor. Uh, because I just find it to be it makes it more the information more palatable and then it doesn't become a bear on people. In other words, people don't see it as this overwhelming issue. Right. We can overcome this if we can laugh about it and still have intellectual insight as to what's taking place. Then then it then it will it will probably be perceived as, as if whatever the issue is, is transcendable at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to ridicule, that's something that I tend not to do. <laughs> now, uh-huh. I have been I have in the past, um, for instance, I have been critical of certain people, especially in the alternative media. Let me say this to that um, inside my book, I outline the differences between the mainstream news, the alternative news, and then what I call the independent news. I consider myself to be an independent um, uh, researcher. Um, and, and point of fact, um, the alternative news and the mainstream news, they go hand in hand. Uh, they're part of the same body. Most people don't realize this, but this is the truth. Um, they're on this, they're on, it appears as if they're on different sides of the fence, but if you go around the corner, you see that the fence is connected. <laughs> okay. You just have right. to go around the corner long enough and you see this to be the case. So a lot of people consider themselves to be alternative, but what they really are is independent. And we should make these clear distinctions. And I give, I give a whole breakdown inside the book of the differences between the two. Most of the people who are listening here, if you consider yourself to be an alternative researcher, you're actually really an independent researcher. It's just you've been incorporated into the alternative media because alternative media has become this phenomenon that people, you know, tend to, to, to kind 
kind of gravitate to. But in point of fact, you are actually independent. And there's a difference, and it's a very important difference, which I outline inside the book. But let me say this, that one of my qualms, if you will, with the alternative media is that um, a lot of the, the way in which things are presented uh, is fear-based. And it causes people right. to become fearful and emotional. And then as a consequence, they do not engage in an intellectual process. That's why a lot of times on alternative uh, media websites, you see people, and they start arguing with each other, start calling each other names, just like little children. It's not an intellectual process. We, we're not dealing with logic or reason here. We're dealing with emotion, emotionalism. And that emotionalism, a lot of the alternative media outlets, they promote the emotionalism. They're ranting, they're raging, they're yelling and screaming at people. You know, they're calling people sheeple. I will never call people sheeple. I don't believe that's, that's irrelevant because we're all asleep on some level. We wake up from one dream and we start another one, right? And it goes on forever until we come to the point of true mental sovereignty. So the point that I'm making here is that there was a time when I was very critical of the alternative media and I would ridicule um, particular uh, mouthpieces of the alternative media, but then I realized that that was also part of learning, you know, that I went through that information too, and there was a point where I was engulfed in that, that particular uh, type of information and how it was being presented, and I was there too. It was just part of my, my, um, my progress, you know, my progress towards uh, coming into sovereign mind, if you will. So, so the point that I'm making is that um, it, it would, it, at a certain point, I realized that it was counterproductive for me to ridicule people when I was in the same position that those people were in not too long ago. And so at this point, I not to do that with people. Um, I do call things out for how I see it, but I'm very careful when I criticize. I make sure that the criticism is constructive and it doesn't get them, you know, so I'm not calling people names and kind of stuff. So, yes, if we're going to ridicule, let's ridicule, let's be respectful, let's make it intellectual, okay? But let's not get to the point where now we're issuing ad hominem attacks and we're, we're, call, you know, we're calling people names and that kind of thing because that's totally counterproductive. Oh, yeah, I totally agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, w- what I meant really was more ridiculing uh, the idea and concepts of, um, like, the idea that, uh, oh, yeah, there's all these terrorists and then, and then they're out there to get us and... <laughs> Oh, yes, and yes, all yes. that, yeah. Let's that, and let's criticize that, and then let's also talk intellectually about that. That's very important because a lot of people they buy into that that there's this potential terror threat now, all the time. Nothing ever happens. Nothing ever happens. And then when something does happen, it seems like it's a terrorist attack. Man, they can they can easily spin it into sense hey, that it's Al Qaeda or that it's ISIS without any evidence or proof. <laughs> you know, we can just say right. that it is. Anything that happens, it could be a domestic issue. You know, it could be someone here in the United States, and they they go and they go shoot someplace up, and then all of a sudden it's ISIS. Let's just say that it's ISIS, but how do we know that it's ISIS? We don't really know that it's ISIS, right? Or Al Qaeda matter. So yeah, we do need to be uh, critical and we do need to ridicule if you will, those types of stories. Uh, but the point that I was making here is, as we do that, we just have to make sure we maintain the process to where it doesn't get to the point where we're naming or demeaning other people. I just see so much. Of, I'm not this is what or anyone else for that matter, but I have so much of that, especially in the alternative news. And I will say that that is counterproductive. Oh yeah, definitely. I, I won't. I won't do my Alex Jones impersonation then. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I will say, you know, I, uh, I I followed Alex Jones for about six weeks, and this was early on in my progressions. And the the manner in which he presents information, it was just uh, so over the top and emotional. Um, and it was so. It, it was. It wasn't intellect based. It was a lot of it was fear based mind control programming, and, and it and it really did me a disservice. A lot of people get caught up in that type of a delivery, and what happens is that they begin to suffer from psychological uh, issues, including paranoia. 
Um, and we have to be very careful about that. And it's because of the, the emotions that are being stimulated in people. Whenever you're dealing with emotions, you're going to have problems. You have to deal with the intellect in the first place. Uh, this doesn't mean that Alex Jones does not have information that is valuable to people. What I'm saying is that we have to be careful in terms of how certain types of information is presented because the information may be good, but the delivery of that information can actually do a great deal of da- uh, damage to people, especially psychologically speaking. Yeah, you got uh- I would, I would like John to just give you a little bit of, uh, his impression. It, it even, it sets me on edge, even like hearing him, cause I get, uh, it, it's so good. Like, can you do a little bit, John? Just, you know, for. Mm. Listen, folks, what Lyndon Honor is saying is totally true. I've seen it. I've seen it with my own two eyes, folks. They're programming us psychologically. We've got, we, 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 we've got to be, we, we, we've got to be totally aware of this stuff. <laughs> yeah, 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 you you do have it down. <laughs> I, I got I listened to him for too long and got scared from all that stuff from too for too long not to have it down. So, yeah. but um, like uh, like Chris was saying, we got to have a little bit of uh, humor involved in this uh, very serious subject. But um, what uh, what do you think of the idea that you know, like. A lot, a lot of all, and I'm not just picking on, you know, the so-called alternative media. I wanted to point out, too, uh, I'm, I'm sure you've noticed this, that anytime you were, use the word alternative, it's actually altering the native. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, but uh, any, anyways, you have, um, you know, there's a more, what you're pointing out, all the, all the things that you pointed out and uh, you've done so eloquently, is that you don't need this over-the-top type of mind control that is kind of pushed out there, like you know, you know, we've got these NK Ultra Patsies and they're shooting up the schools and this type of stuff. And um, what you're saying is that mind control is way more simplistic than what anybody thinks. It's not really uh, that big of a deal when we're in a culture of mind control. But yes. the entire culture, our entire culture is under mind control. So, so um, could you speak to that a little bit of cultural mind control? Yeah, and just for semantics purposes, let me just say this: that it's not that it's simple; it is that it is, it's subtle. That's what it is. It's subtle. Um, it yeah, is, that's, that's good. Yeah, so I just want to be, be clear about that. And we do we we are in a culture of global mind control, but it's a subtle mind control. All right. Um, if you've been exposed to the public education system, you have had levels of mind control. If you are, if you have a particular religion, part of the religious indoctrination in mer- most churches is a subtle level of mind control. Um, if you belong to government and being out voting, in particular for for you know, presidential elections, okay, that's just a stage show, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, anyone can become president. No, okay, you don't select who is who's able to become. There, you know, there's a specific group of people, and they select who they're going to have run. Okay, but it, it's only through mind control that people believe that somehow their their vote ultimately matters. I mean, if you're given a vote, but you're giving who you're supposed to choose, what does your vote really mean? In other words, I'm going to give you two options. <laughs> you know, you have power to choose whoever you want to become president, but I'm going to give you just two options at the end of the day. 
have nothing in those two options. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? It's mind control to believe that somehow you have all this power to voting, but you're just really given two options. Two options is just one option away from no, from no options. <laughs> so that's what I mean. It's very subtle. So, so part of what you're saying, and, and this is like in, in the alternative news often, uh, media, what, often what is done is that mind control is, is, is presented as, as a sensationalized thing. You know, there's a shooting that takes place. Yes, a mind control, MK Ultra, and this, this is going on here, and it's a government conspiracy. And thought jobs saying people say over and over again. That's the thing. You know, a lot of people, they say those types of things because they don't psychologically, they don't want to deal with the fact that we have some human beings that seriously have some psychological issues. So instead of saying that they have psychological issues because of other issues or because of certain experiences that they, that they have had in their life, we say, no, they were mind-controlled into, into engaging in that behavior. So it becomes a sensationalized type of a thing. So what I'm saying is that the subtlety is to look at the, their, their, uh, their mentality, to look at their psychology, and most people don't want to look at psychology because when you look at psychology, you can't approach it from an emotional standpoint. You have to approach it from an intellectual standpoint. Psychology is the study of the mind. It's the science of the mind, and you can't have an understanding about the science of the mind if you're coming from a straight of emotional standpoint. You have to come from the vantage point of mental aptitude, intellectual process. So part of what I'm saying is that mind control, it is a subtle thing these days. It is not something that is, it is it's so outwardly expressed that most people can see it clearly, and in most cases, it's subconscious. That's why subliminal messages are used. That's why symbolism is used. That's why color schemes and, and neuro linguistic programming is used. It's very subtle. One of the challenges is, I think that people we have to be clear about is that when we start to make it to, to appear to be the sensationalized thing, and it becomes over the top crazy now. It's like, wow, look how, wow, this is all mind control. It's an inside job, and then, you know this MK Ultra. We're not dealing with the intellect now because now what we're doing is we're, we're projecting again, externalizing power onto this behemoth. That, that, that we perceive to exist and we externalize power to it, but then we're not really dealing with the human condition, the psychology, the psychology of that individual who committed that particular act. We're not looking at how they were raised. We're not looking at what they involved themselves in to get them to that point. We simply say that they were mind control. Well, it's mind control. We ha it's, it's much more subtle than that. And that's why I would propose that people, you really have to study and you have to research. And in particular, you have to study psychology. You have to understand the differences between the subconscious mind and the conscious mind. There's various uh, uh, distinguishable difference. I outline all those inside of my book, the 911 Fear-Based Mind Control program, uh, Programming. You also have to understand behavior modification. How can you modify? a person's behavior. You have to study that. Neuro-linguistic programming, subliminal messages. You know, there's a lot of people, they will talk about, and this is the last point, there's a lot of people they will talk about subliminal messages, but if I ask them, well, can you define what a subliminal message is? They can't even do it. Now, I can define it. Subliminal sub means below, like subterrain, below, submarine, below the marine layer, sub, sub implies below. So, and, and then liminal, subliminal is the line of demarcation between your conscious awareness and your subconscious awareness. Anything that, that is, is not perceived consciously and is perceived on the subconscious line below, on a subconscious level below the normal auditory and visual perception of human uh, perception, anything that goes down below that is subconscious. Therefore, that would be a subliminal message, a message that is being directed to your subconscious mind. I can outline that, but that is only through study of human psychology and subliminal messages. But what I'm, so part of what I'm saying is that if we're going to understand mind control, if we're going to understand um, um, media manipulation, then we have to study psychology. We have to study the, all these other topics that are brought up here. And when we study those things, it can't come from a place of emotionalism, like much of the alternative truth movement mouthpieces, all emotionalism. It has to come from a place of proper intellectual process. Yeah, you talk about uh, uh, the subliminal 
and uh, like on nine eleven, like if you look at the architecture of the the twin towers and in the architecture at the uh, you know they had the cladding on the outside of the building and then it comes at the bottom, it comes to uh, a, a, a trident, and um, that that symbol of the trident you know uh, was also you, you see that in uh, the John F Kennedy assassination at Daly Plaza. The road where it intersects, where they, he was entering into, forms out into three branches, and that's also, if you look at the aerial view from the top down, forms the trident. And um, the trident is uh, is associated with um, Nep- the god Neptune, which is the uh, the god of the sea or the deep, and that represents, from what I understand, that rep- represents the subconscious mind or. Uh, the you know uh, in the, anything that related to um, the the ocean or or anything like that is is, is 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 you know when you go underwater you're sort of in a in a in a different um, world so to speak and then that's uh, allegorical to the uh, subconscious mind and a lot of uh, stuff you can read about you know psychology and like what what some of that symbolism represents. And you'll see that you'll see that stuff a lot in these psychological operations. So they're like telling you, or there are certain people that are in the know. They're getting clued in by these different symbols that keep getting repeated over and over, and then they keep popping up over and over in these different uh, psychological operations. I think I heard Freeman Fly speak. It might have been Mark Cassio, uh, one of the two speak on a particular issue, the, just the use of symbolism and, and uh, how these symbols, symbols are interpreted on the subconscious level. And, the, and this can also be included. Uh, be, what also can be included in this is events like September 11th. Um, when you speak about uh, the death of, or the assassination of John F. Kennedy, I hadn't thought about that, and I hadn't seen that myself. So that's interesting that you brought it up here. Mm, yeah. The, yeah. Uh, yeah. Go ahead, John. Oh, I was just going to say, I think even Carl Jung refers to the unconscious sea. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the mind is, a, the unconscious is being like a sea, you know, like a like water. And mm-hmm. so, uh, um, yeah, any, anything having to do with deep and, you know, deep water, it's, it has to do with, uh, floating around in the, in the sea of the unconscious. And, um, uh, I'm, I'm pretty, Pretty sure, uh, Mr. Honor, there's uh, dabbled in the uh, Jungian philosophy at some point. Yeah, some people have called me Jungian, Jungian philosopher too, and I don't necessarily agree with that. But uh, I want to say, I want to say this: uh, that essentially, this, uh, when we talk about water, water always seeks to go to its lowest point. The lowest point, you know, because gravity always brings it to its lowest point. So uh, anything that's below uh, that goes uh, below the, the marine layer. That is sub, okay? That's why they say submarine. But the point is that water always seeks to go way below, okay? It always seeks to descend to its lowest point. And we can think of the subconscious mind, symbolically speaking, as being um, the depths of the totality of human psychology. Um, this doesn't mean, I should mention that, that somehow the, the, sublim- the subconscious mind is less than or even lower than, because this is just in terms of, of semantics here, but I want people to understand that the, the symbolism and, and what broader represents and how it functions, even on Earth, it always seeks to descend to its lower, lowest point. And then we tend not to, as a species, delve deep into that, uh, the, the depths of the water, just how, like most of us, we tend not to delve deep into the subconscious mind. 
Okay, so, and this is so very true. So um, just the symbolism that you're bringing out, it really brings forth this truth and the, the importance of us taking the time to really study um, psychology and in particular the subconscious mind because there's a, there's a wealth of information that we can find and then we can really understand how manipulation is really taking place. Again, it's not outward blank, uh, blatant manipulation. Much of it is very, very subtle and is taking place on a subconscious mind and, and the fact that it's taking uh, on a subconscious level and the fact that it's taking place on a subconscious level, most of us are oblivious to it consciously. And that's the great challenge for us when we come into a place where we can take a conscious approach to the manipulation. I propose inside my book, too, as a, as a solution, especially as it relates to the, the, the trauma of September 11, 2001, is that when we can take a conscious approach to the manipulation, in particular the manipulation that takes place in the six weeks leading up to September 11th of every single year, all the stories that trigger the trauma of September 11th, terrorism, al-Qaeda, ISIS, potential terror threats, homeland security issues, plane crashes, plane problems, all this triggers a trauma. When we can approach that consciously, we now protect our subconscious mind from that manipulation. So part of what I'm saying is that when you study and you really study uh, psychology and the conscious mind and subconscious mind, in particular subconscious mind, you can now begin to make a, a conscious effort to keep your subconscious mind protected from all the degrees of manipulation and mind control, which is precisely what was the, the reason and really the, the reason as to why I set on this course to really begin to study these particular topics was because I wanted to, in fact, keep my children's conscious subconscious mind safe from the degrees of manipulation. And so it all comes back around full circle. You see, we, we, should, we owe it to ourselves, too, as a species to really get with this particular issue so that we can adequately protect ourselves from the different degrees of manipulation. And the manipulation is not overwhelming. It is very subtle. Once you understand the science of it, you negate um, it as a force in your life. And you can live a life that is more consciously, when you're living a life where you can consciously materialize and manifest the reality that you want to, as opposed to buying in to uh, the illusions that are being projected onto us on a subconscious level. Have you heard of uh, yeah, Dr. I, John oh. Sarnos? No, no, I have not. Well, it's, this guy, he um, he has treated a lot of people that have, um, like, back ailments, uh, back trauma. It's, it's, there's, like, an epidemic of these, um, these, these uh, you know, people, you know, having back trouble, knee joint problems. And um, I read a couple of his books, and in one of his books – he he there's a chapter that goes into the the 911 and how after 911 like he saw this big upswing in people coming in with these uh the, these complaining of these very similar problems um chronic pain issues that will like manifest themselves sometimes in his shoulder or if you've ever had any kind of like injury in the past like it, it, you'll, you might have like tennis elbow or something like that it's, it's something that falls in that category but it's like a, a chronic pain like but he explains how um the like uh your your body will not um continue on in a state of chronic pain like that like if if you have like a bone spur or something like that they'll tell you when you go to the doctor oh you you're experiencing some sort of uh, uh a problem where something is pressing on a nerve and it's creating this chronic pain well no he 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 points out that that is not actually a physiological possibility because your nerve will will go dead at a certain point so that the the, the real chronic pain is taking place in your mind and um it's real it's not that it's not it, it's not real you know pain but it's like your brain is generating it through subconscious um probably exactly what you're talking about like this you're not processing these subconscious uh um traumas 
so that your body will manifest this in in the form of like sciatica or knee joint trouble or or something like that and he he found out that by treating that as a you know a psychological issue and then just by simply making people aware of what was going on um they could be cured yes. i mean and, and it just and it was the cure is the knowledge of what is going on and this is once once people accepted that and became aware of it their pain went away Yes, yes, yes. I mean, that is an awesome analogy. Thank you for sharing it, because the same rule applies in terms of September 11th and the trauma associated with that event that we still feel the repercussions of this. Ladies and gentlemen, when Mm -hmm. we get close to September 11th, you notice you will feel more antsy. You will be fearful. There will be people around you that seem to be a little bit more antsy, a little bit more fearful because they're anticipating a potential terror threat because the subconscious, the subconscious mind doesn't distinguish between past, present or future. So therefore, when we get around September 11th, we start hearing trigger stories, trigger the trauma of plane problems, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, Osama bin Laden, uh, national security issues, potential terror threats. What it, what it does, it triggers the trauma, the subconsciously embedded trauma, and it has a real effect on us. Now, nothing actually takes place, but psychologically, we interpret on a psychological level that something is about to take place or that something is taking place, and on a subconscious level, we believe that September 11th is happening all over again. Well, this is no different. It's psychosomatic, in other words. What this doctor is referring to is psychosomatic illness. In, in other words, it is an illness that is interpreted uh, or, or a pain, in this case, that is interpreted on a psychological level. Where, and in point of fact, physiologically speaking or physically, there is actually no reason for there to be a pain, for, for, for a person to feel pain. So, so, so part of what I'm saying here is that the, the uh, try and see what you were saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, was that for some reason September 11th, shortly after that, these types of issues started to come up for people. Right. right. That's what it said. That's what he he uh, he he related that in in his book. He said that after 9/11, he saw. Yeah. A and this big, yes. big upsurge in people yeah, coming and, and in with ab- those problems. Yes, absolutely. And I'll propose that there's probably a, a big upsurge that takes place, not to, to the same degree as, as the initial trauma of September 11th, but every single year since September 11th and around September 11th that people tend to have these psychosomatic issues that begin to come up. But why? See, it's not mm-hmm. that something different is happening in their body per se because it's not a physical issue. It's a psychological issue and has to be treated psychologically. What is the issue? The issue is the subconsciously embedded trauma of the initial event in the first place, that somehow this particular traumatization was so great that it, that it also triggered other traumas. This happens for people. This is why mm-hmm. September 11th and the trauma that's associated with it is such a massive issue that has gone understudied, under-researched, and no one is talking about it. Okay, and I wrote, I wrote a book on it because I understand how deep and, and how deep this is. I mean, this particular trauma that is associated with September 11 could trigger all types of traumatizations that have been submerged within the subconscious mind of any given individual, including physical pain that they may have been feeling. And then they start to feel it all over again as a consequence of the initial trauma of September 11. In other words, not only has September 11th the trauma been embedded within the subconscious mind, but it also triggers other unrelated traumas. And so you can imagine if, if it has the power to do that, then what happens in the six weeks leading up to September 11th when we get all these stories that trigger the, the initial trauma of September 11th of terrorism, plane problems, plane crashes, ISIS, Al-Qaeda, so forth and so on. What happens then to people? Not only is it going to trigger the initial trauma of September 11th, but also it's going to trigger a psychosomatic response. Wherein all of those other traumas are also being triggered. This is why September 11th is such a huge issue because we, this is for the first time in human history, you have a global event, a global traumatizing event that was broadcast on the, on the world stage live. Never before has something like this happened. I'm talking about for a, a globally traumatized, to traumatize the whole world in point of fact. 
being broadcast live on this scale, it has never happened. And therefore, in terms of the ramifications, psychologically speaking, people, we have to look at this. And, and, and people tend not to, and I have yet to see someone to really delve deeper into this part, a particular issue. And I'm going to say this. I'm not a psychologist. So I can only, I've studied it, but I can only imagine if someone, a psychologist, really took the time to delve deeper into this particular issue of what I call the 911 fear-based mind control programming. I wonder how much more deeper they will be able to find, how deep does this particular issue go. And I'll propose this particular event. When we talk about human psychology and the evolution of, science, of human psychology, this particular traumatizing event of September 11, 2001, has had one of the most profound impacts on our psychological development as a species. And it has the power to impact us in so many different ways, including psychosomatically. Yeah, well put. I totally agree with that. I have a question uh, a little off base. I don't think I've ever heard you talk about it. Um, but it's for my own personal knowledge. You know, I don't let my daughter watch television. She's never seen a movie. She's never gone on the computer. Uh, she's never played with a cell phone. And ho hopefully we can uh, have you back on sometime and you can talk about family and things like that. Um, have you ever seen any, like, sex embeds in things related to terrorism and and terror? Because I know that sex and psychology... Uh, you know, it, it, it puts you in an alpha kind of base mind state because, you know, one of the, it, it's something, I, I don't, I don't know the exact terminology for it, but, you know, like someone <laughs> engaging, watching porn is kind of with their mouth open and their eyes wide open type thing. And so when, when sex puts you at that base mindset, you're, you're really programmable. Yes. And I was wondering if you had ever seen any, like, sex embeds in, in any of the terror-related stuff. I know that um, there was this, you know, a while back they had these, uh, I'm not going to get too graphic, but I know when they were allegedly torturing a lot of these uh, alleged terrorists, mm -hmm. that they were using psychological warfare on them by having prostitutes come in while they were being tortured mm -hmm. to kind of... Uh, scramble their brain to, you know, because the the, the pain-pleasure uh, line is a very thin one. Yes, yes. And so so uh, even when you're being programmed by images and pictures and all that type of stuff, uh, if you have sex embeds in there, it would put you into an easily programmable state. Uh, do you know anything about that? Yes, yes, yes. Um, and see, even as you're saying, when you were saying that, there were some images that came to mind that I remember um, I, and you guys may have to help me on this because because this is going back many years ago. There was a they were holding ter potential, I guess, suspected terrorists, Al Qaeda terrorists in this prison. And this was someplace overseas. And these pictures start to come out of abuse. Um, what was this place? Abu was it Abu, Abu, Abu Ghraib? Yes. Yes. Thank you. OK, so we're going back. I don't know how many years ago that was. But see, when you were talking just now, this remind this start to these images start to come up. And what I see and at that time, I didn't realize it. But at this point, I can realize it, that a lot of the positioning um, uh, that they were ha had these uh, these I don't know, these inmates in it was sexual sexualized. OK, then the things that they were having them do there they, they was it was sexually suggestive, if you will. And so the, when these images comes out, when these images start to come out, a lot of people, they were disturbed on some on some level. On one hand, they were disturbed because these prisoners were being abused physically. 
But a lot of people didn't really understand that part of the disturbing factor and what contributed to the, the level of disturb, uh, disturbance that they felt had to do with the fact that, that this was actually also uh, sexual programming, too, as well. In, in other words, um, that sex was being used within the context of the, the level of these levels of abuse and the photographs were being taken. And then people, when they were seeing the photographs, they were also seeing the sexual aspect of this, too. Even though it wasn't necessarily interpreted on a conscious level, that on a subconscious level, the levels of abuse was also being associated with sadomasochism. You see, and I know that it's a twisted psychology, but I want people to understand that this is what came to mind as you were talking here. And I never had thought about it until you started to bring this up because it's such a, it's a very important point. It's, it, and it is true that sex can also be used as part of the propaganda, if you will. Um, and, and, and on another level, the sexual component in terms of the imagery, it can be disturbing, but then on a certain level, if you perceive these individuals who are being abused in this way, in Abu Ghraib, you perceive them to be these terrorists, you see them as being subhuman, you will also not look at them as human beings, and therefore their sexual abuse, therefore, is somehow justified, even though it's still disturbing. So what I'm saying is on a psychological level, the sexual part of it, because and, uh, and the fact that a lot of people have these uh, issues when it comes to sex, it, it can also paint these uh, these prisoners in an even more negative light, even though they're the ones who are being abused. So when we talk about human psychology, this is like the complexities of it all. And again, it depends on the individual and where they're at, when they see the pictures, where their mentality at, when they see it, in a level of humanity, how they see other human beings, in particular how they see potential quote-unquote terrorists. Do you see them as being a human being or do you see them as less than human being? Based upon that, your interpretation of the sexual imagery will be different. And you may interpret the sexual in, in, uh, imagery as being an indictment against the people who are actually being abused, not an indictment against the abusers. So this is one way of looking at this. But I also want to bring this up, um, that I remember that um, there was all this propaganda about SEAL Team 6 in and around the supposed death of Osama bin Laden. Okay, And I just want to say this, that anyone who believes that Osama bin Laden was assassinated by SEAL Team 6, you're buying into an illusion because there is no evidence to prove that he was actually killed by uh, SEAL Team 6 or that he was actually killed at all. And, and what I'm saying is that scientifically speaking, there is no evidence and proof that would back up that assertion that he was assassinated by SEAL Team 6. If you believe it to be true, that's fine. But, but if I ask you to, to, to provide me with evidence and proof that would stand up in a court of law, no one would be able to do that because there is no evidence and proof, and we should not assume that something took place when we have no evidence and proof that something actually took place. I also talk about why people in my lectures, why people assume that this actually took place, and it was propaganda. Okay, The reason why I'm bringing this up is because I remember when a lot of the SEAL Team 6 propaganda started coming out, that they were doing these retrospectives on, you know, uh, Marines and, you know, uh, SEALs and, you know, the military. And, I and because SEAL Team 6 supposedly had this dog, okay, that went in and helped to capture Osama Laden and assassinate him, there was all of these uh, productions that were being put on, I think it was CBS, and I have this in one of my um, documentary series. And, and part of the thrust of it was to show how these, these canines or these dogs, their, their interactions with, with the, you know, the military and how they, it's like a you know, father-son or, or you know, we're buddy-buddy, me and this dog, and all this kind of stuff. And I remember they kept talking about this relationship, this relationship, and then the, the last shot that they show, it's a, it's a, it's a picture. And, 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 it, and, it, and, it, and it's panning across the screen as they're closing out this segment. And, if, and, and then what the, the newscaster says is something like uh, man's best friend, true love, something to that effect. And if you look carefully, there's a man. He's, it looks like he's a Marine or a SEAL, and he's laying back on his back in a sexualized position. <laughs> I was like, well, he's laying back and as if he's enjoying himself somehow, okay, and he's laying back and he's sitting back. And then there's a dog that's placed in his crotch area, and the dog's paw is 
right there up against his crotch. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember I saw this and see, it's, it's very subtle. It's very subtle. Okay. But the message is clear. So yes, whether it, so what I'm saying is that the imagery can not only is there can there be the sexualized content to promote the terrorist propaganda, but then also to pro, to, to to propagandize the hero archetype. You always have to have a supervillain and a, a superhero in these productions, and this superhero in this case, he's loved by his dog and his true love, a man's best friend, and it speaks to what it speaks to a subtle form of bestiality. So yes, ladies and gentlemen, yeah. sex will also be used in terms of the propaganda. Now, now I'm traumatized. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will tell you that in, in my research over the last decade, I have seen so much, man. I have seen so much. And that's why I know that um, it is it is not always blatant. It is always it is usually very subtle. But if you know what to look for and if you study human psychology, you realize how deep it really goes. I mean, and it really can become very, very graphic and in some cases very, very uh, disturbing. I've developed an immunity, though, at this point because I've seen some stuff on the Internet, especially as I, I started to research uh, transhumanism and sex bots and those types of things. Um, as I research that stuff, I've developed an immunity because um, I, I've had to get to a point where I can basically process information intellectually, intellectually without uh, being subject to the manipulation and not, and not allowing the information to get get me disturbed emotionally or psychologically. And when you get to that level, um, this is a place of mental sovereignty to where the, the media manipulation, the subliminal messages, the mind control programming no longer impacts you. Instead, you can approach it from an intellectual vantage point and you can dissect it, analyze it, and then share your analysis with other people. And that's where I'm at at this point in my progressions. Cool. Yeah, like uh, bringing, bringing people, people into in this the, uh, sort of you know, you know, depravity where, you know, they're just, you could, you could show something like, uh, um, what you're talking about with the abuse in, in, in that prison. And then they, um, supposedly, you know, it's always like a leaked image or leaked images or something like that. And then, you know, all, oh, so the implication there is like, oh, the public's not supposed to see this, but anyway, um, and then, uh, you know, it's all in the context of, oh, this is being done to bad people. This is being done to terrorists. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. so people get on board with it, like uh, at least on some level. And and then a lot of people just, you know, they they come right out and say, yeah, that's, you know, that, that's justified. You know, they deserve what they're getting. And so they become uh, the sadists themselves. Yes, yes, and, yes. And, through the proxy of the military and all that. And then even what was like uh, the people that are so-called the leaders in the, um, in society, like, you know, like a radio personality, like Rush Limbaugh. I mean, a lot of people look to him for like even moral guidance as bizarre as that is, but <laughs> yeah. And then he, he goes on and, and, and uh, just totally um, justifies that whole, the Abu Ghraib, grab thing and saying that it was no more than what would you would see in like a, a fraternity prank or something like that isn't that interesting Just out, yeah it's totally outrageous and ridiculous but um yeah that that is to uh and i think to bring in this whole um e- even a greater level of um like a authoritarian rule because you know you have to condition people and then get them in this depraved state uh, you know, morally depraved, so that um, the way I understand it is that 
the more of the more of the population that is sort of uh, morally compromised and morally depraved, they'll accept a lot more uh, abuse uh, upon themselves and upon their neighbors because they they won't they won't stand up for what's right. Yeah, and they won't see the abuse as being abuse. And this is this is what came to mind as you, and very eloquently uh, stated too. By the way, uh, I want to say this that. Um, what came to mind, uh, came into my mind as you were talking here was movies like Fifty Shades of Grey. You see, and, and in a sense, it is an extension of things like Abu Ghraib, right? And so, and, and also the externalization of power. And, and I haven't seen the movie. I don't plan on seeing the movie, but understanding the, the thrust of it with sadomasochism, that ultimately it's programming for women to begin to associate uh, male domination and male power and, and some, on some levels male abuse as being uh, equated with love. And that's that is a moral depravity in essence. You have to be depraved morally and ethically to accept something like that. But there are people who will buy into that through the advertisement of that, right? Through the propaganda, uh, through the public relations, and that's what came to mind as you were speaking here. Yeah, there's always these uh, motion pictures and television shows and uh, novels and. Uh, I, I, I think that was a novel that was made into a movie, right? Yes. Yeah, and and um, so that yeah, that that's always parallel to the stuff that's in the media. You'll you'll have, um, uh, I'll I'll give one example. They had the show, uh, a television show, twenty one. Was it twenty? Yes, no, yes, twenty four. Yeah, twenty four. I know what you mean. Mm-hmm. Yes, that was already in the can before nine eleven. That's right. And they rolled that out right after 9-11, and it's like, oh, what does this guy do? Oh, well, he's he's protecting us from the bad, evil terrorists that, you know, and he's got to go he's got to go defuse the bomb, you know, of course, you know, it, it, he, he's going to pull the wires out, like, you know, with four seconds left on the clock. But before he's get, before he, you know, is able to do that, he's got to torture a lot of people and he's got to right. do what he's got to do to make it happen. Mm-hmm. And it, and it just directly parallels all the Abu Ghraib stuff that came out and all this other stuff that was going on in the media. And you'll see this if, if you're looking for it, you like, you'll see this consistently, like, this narrative that plays out in supposedly true stories that are in the media and it, and it coincides with the stuff that's out in the popular culture. And you see those two uh, forces working in tandem on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. I call this the global motion picture stage show that, that while most people perceive the movies like, you know, the Avengers, uh, Thor, X-Men, they perceive that on a particular level. Uh, as being uh, entertainment in a motion picture, that is just on a on a particular level. But then there's also this global motion picture stage show that's playing itself out. And there's a correlation between the movies that come out in Hollywood, the storylines, also the television shows that come out in Hollywood, and the storylines, and then what takes place in, uh, in the global motion picture stage show. And usually what takes place in the global mo- motion picture stage show takes place after all of it is shown in the television shows and in the movies. So this is just goes to show you that a lot of what we are seeing taking place that we perceive to be real is nothing more than material that is sourced from projections that are issued in Hollywood. And so this is something for people. And if you look for it, you will see it. It's very, very clear. Um, shows like 24, um, that was pre-programming. Um, that was mm-hmm. in point of fact, um, it was source material for all of the, the terrorist propaganda and advertise in essence it was the initial advertisement okay uh, mm-hmm. interesting enough before isis becomes an issue they bring 24 that show back 
Okay, before ISIS becomes this major supposed major threat, they bring they bring twenty four back. And I remember when they did oh, they really? made the announcement that when they made the announcement that they're going to bring it back. I said, oh, okay, we must be in line because they did it before. They do it again. It yep. was successful. Then it's going to be successful. Now it's what I call script writing. It's what 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 is it's nothing more than a global motion picture stage show. And politicians play a very vital role in promoting and advertising these global motion picture stage shows. Yeah, then they can go out and just casually announce like uh, what 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 was the 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 drone strike on the 16 year old kid that was in a coffee shop. And then, you know, they, they had, you know, they had to initiate a drone. I mean, that's totally outrageous. That, that, that doesn't make any sense. And that's just so over the top, but then, you know, you got a population that's conditioned conditioned with shows like 24 and all that. And then they fill in the, they fill in the own, their, their own justification in their mind for, for, well, what, what could possibly be the justification for, uh, Sending a, a a missile down from a drone onto a sixteen year old kid, you know, in a coffee shop. Well, maybe he had the secret code that um, what was the guy Jack Jack Taylor or whatever needed to defuse the bomb, and that's why they had to, you know, whatever. But yes, that's yes. it, yeah. Jack Bauer. Jack Bauer. Yeah. Uh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and they always give him those types of names, right? Jack Bauer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tough guy, like right, yeah, he's not, whatever. He, he, he wasn't. He's not as cool as Jack Lord, though. Oh, there you go, Jack Lord. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, we're we're coming up on um, what it was it uh, hour twenty. Are, are you good on time, Lennon? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, I'm I'm going to exit here, but Chris, go ahead, uh, keep talking. Um, and uh, I will listen to the rest of it on the flip side. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. Thanks, John. L- Lennon, if, Lennon it, was, it was nice talking to you. And uh, like I said, uh, hopefully you can come back on and talk about fatherhood and marriage sometime. Yeah, yeah. Let's do it, man. Just just let me know. Send me an email. We'll work it out. I, I'd love to talk with you all again. Awesome. Okay, great. Yeah. Uh, Chris, Chris will keep the conversation going with you. Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, bye-bye. bye-bye. Take care, John. So Lennon, you have you you remember that uh, gas explosion that happened in New York City, where the two buildings got wiped out by a yes. supposed gas explosion, mm-hmm. and then that was going on at the same time because because it goes right in line with what you're talking about with how they how how they put these stories out in the media and and they're evocative of of nine eleven. Um, there was a, a a deli on the corner. Like right next to those two buildings that supposedly got, yeah, they get they get totally blown to bits, but then the surrounding buildings are you're like relatively unscathed. It's pretty mm-hmm. crazy. But they, there was a deli on the corner that, um, and you could you could go and look at uh, Google Street View because it, it you could go into the. Are you familiar with the, like the timeline where you can kind of go back in time and look at a yeah. street the way it looked? Yeah. And if you go to that to that corner where that deli sits, it was the 95th Street Deli, and then you could see that on Google Street View, and then you could see like right before that event, because you can go a pre, you know, you can look at the Street View previous to the event, and and then like kind of leading up to that event, they they took that signage and they changed it to the 116th Street Deli. Hmm. 
And, and you know, if you take, if, if you know, you're talking about subliminals and subconscious, uh, you know, triggers and all that. Uh, you know, if, of course, if you take the take the 116 letters and big red letters that are on the side of that building that featured prominently in all the photographs of the of the aftermath of that and all that, uh, you know, in, inverted, it's a 911. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just just shows kind of what links like they go to to to, to kind of because um, it's important to 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 instill that, you know, and then, you know, they also uh when they were talking about it, you know, the way it happened, uh, one of the one of the uh, people, the, the government people there said, this is our nine. This is our community's 9-11. Yes, yes, yes. That's always said. That's always said. And that's said because it triggers a trauma and it makes that particular event. It triggers a trauma September 11, but it makes it emboldens that event. It makes it more significant in the minds of people, even though it's not as significant at all. And in, in most respects, uh, it's just an isolated incident. But if you can associate it somehow with September 11th, now it becomes a much, much bigger deal. Uh, let me give an example, too. Um, there was the Oslo, quote unquote, terror attacks. Um, and the Oslo terror, one of the things that they did with the Oslo terror attacks was they kept saying that this was um, Norway's 911. So here it is again. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, it's, and, and what took place there is not even close to being on the scale of what took place on September 11th. But if you can subliminally associate, and I'll talk a lot about this subliminal association, if you can subliminally associate these two separate events together, then you embolden both events, and in particular, you embolden, you embolden, you make it more, you you make it appear to be more significant and more heinous, more traumatizing. You uh, you embolden this particular event of uh, the Oslo terror attacks. Um, the other thing that they did was um, they referred to the Oslo terror attacks as the twin terror attacks because there were two particular events that took place mm. on day that they considered to be uh, terrorist acts. But if when you say twin terror, twin terror sounds as if you're saying twin towers on a certain de- on a certain level, especially when you've already said that this is Oslo's or Norway's nine one one. So in other words, to say twin terror is is, is neurolinguistic programming. It's not by accident. It's no different than ch- you know uh, uh, changing uh, verbiage so so that it, it it can trigger a particular response in people. If you say twin terror, twin terror. This is September 11, Twin Terror. People are going on a subconscious level because their, uh, the, their subconscious trauma of September 11 has not been resolved. They will hear Twin Terror or Twin Tower. Okay, so Twin Terror attacks become Twin Tower attacks. Um, this particular event becomes Norway's 911, even though it has absolutely nothing to do with September 11. So what I'm saying is that in the case that you were just bringing up, this is part of neuro-linguistic programming. You can change verbiage around in order to appeal to particular people's emotions, to appeal to the trauma of September 11. And in that, September 11 was the most traumatizing, globalized event that has ever taken place that was broadcast live, real time. You got a global population for the first time being traumatized in mass. First time in human history this has taken place. Mm-hmm. You can always use that submerged trauma as a tool of psychological warfare. And you can do that simply by bringing up September 11th. Making a creating a subconscious relationship between two events that have absolutely nothing to do with each other. One being September 11th, and, and in this case, uh, an explosion uh, that, that took out you know uh, two buildings. Nothing, no relationship whatsoever. But if you say that this is our community, September 11th, now it becomes a big deal because now it's triggering the trauma of September 11, 2001. Exactly. I, I think there's there may be some events too that you know in in history kind of that were um 
not parallel to 9-11, but we're, we're kind of um, a, a, maybe a bit of predictive programming or foreshadowing of, of 9-11. Um, you remember the, the uh, during the Olympics that yeah. happened in the 70s, I think it was in the yes, 70s, yeah. mm-hmm. they had a hostage yes, crisis yes. and all that. Yes. And they say that it was, uh, and if you look at that, they're using numerology, and uh, I think they said there was, um, uh, wow, I'm trying to get the, all this straight, but it, I think it's something to the effect that there was um, 11 hostages, nine of them died, and uh, or nine were killed by the by the terrorist and um and and they were really uh um adamant about the whole thing being you know terrorism and and putting that into people's mind and that was you know broadcast worldwide not not that that was to the extent of uh, or on the level of 9-11 being a mass trauma uh, trauma event but I see, like, some of this stuff kind of being a foreshadowing of, of, of that. And then, uh, and then, you know, when you, when, when 9-11 happened, the, the, that stuff that was in people's subconscious mm-hmm. was also, uh, um, it was given a, uh, a, a sort of, um, uh, what's the word I'm, what I'm thinking of? The idea is already planted in people's minds. Yes, yes. So, in other words, it's resurrected. In essence, it's right. The, the, that particular programming is resurrected. Um, out of, it comes out of the subconscious mind and, and, and starts to impact our perceptions on the conscious stuff. This happens all the time. In point of fact, September 11th is now being used for that same purpose. So, for instance, the example they gave when they when they say this is our community, September 11th, but that's no difference, you know, than the pre-programming that, that you're using September 11th now as a tool to 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 bring. Um, um, you know, uh, trauma, bring, steady, okay, this is our September 11th, brings up the trauma September 11th, and then now that trauma is now being associated with this particular event, even though this particular event has absolutely nothing to do with September 11th. So it goes both ways, whether you look at what took place, um, you know, in the 70s with that particular issue and September 11th, or September 11th and any issue that is, or, or event that has taken place since that time, what, how mass media operates is to use any given trauma as a tool to stimulate subconscious trauma, and as you do that, you can you can uh, have it has a, an emboldening effect on whatever the current event may be, and this is done over time, over time, over time. I would also I just also want to say this because as you were talking, this came to mind that um, I would say that the the event that took place that had a uh, that had a traumatizing effect um, prior to September 11 was the assassination of JFK. Um, however, in the case of the assassination of JFK. It wasn't a globalized event because technology hadn't gotten to the point where things were being broadcast live. The assassination was broadcast live and in real time and not even uh, near on the, the catastrophic scale of what we saw on September 11th. So there have been events um, that have taken place. And I also talk about in the book how any given major traumatizing event, and you can also throw, throw in the one that you were talking about here a moment, a moment ago, any given trauma, historically traumatizing event is often brought back up on the anniversary of that event. And when it's brought back up on the anniversary, people are 
are, are led to feel in other words it resurrects the initial trauma on some level it resurrects the initial trauma and so mass media it has a particular cycle and you will find that any given traumatizing event in and around that particular traumatizing event the anniversary mass media starts to present programming that correlates to that or they talk about it they talk about it a whole lot the time and it triggers the initial trauma well this has been going on for a, a long long time and if you if you go back far enough you can see correlations between particular traumatizing events that have been built up over time that have led all the way up to September 11th and even moving beyond that inside my book I have a whole outline of the types of stories that people can expect in the news in terms of traumatizing events going back uh, 100 years ago to the sinking of uh, the supposed sinking of the Titanic because that is also mm -hmm. a point of, of contention for a lot of people but the point being is that on the 100 year anniversary they bring that event back up in the news and people participate in these vigils they cry they sing and they mourn this is all the externalization of power based upon a traumatization that did not exist for most people because most people who were alive then are not alive now but when the movies come out you know, the Titanic movie comes out. This is traumatizing a new generation of people. And then when the 100-year anniversary, people come out to participate. Well, this is how deep it goes, the media manipulation part. I think, like, uh, like talked about this on, like, an anthropological level, like uh, how people used to, when they were sort of in the natural um, conditions of, you know, uh, kind of naturally formed societies and all that, they would have their own... Um, you know, uh, stories and their own that gave them their identity and their history. Mm -hmm. And that, that usually was, um, I think, I think in many cultures that, that was regulated to like, uh, the, the matriarchs in the society that would, um, they would gather kind of around the campfire at, at night and then they would, the, the matriarch would, would tell the stories mm -hmm. and, um, and, and that's, that was sort of their entertainment back then and that and that instilled in them their sense of culture and their sense of identity and i think that's what these events are for the so-called civilized person in modern society we don't have that um those family bonds and that and that uh, in the way that they did uh to form and shape their identity and i think that's that's what these events are um, mainly to do to give us a uh, to give us a backstory or a mythology or a, or, a, or a narrative to work off of to, for our for our, a collective identity. And um, have have you have you looked at the movie Independence Day? Yeah. And all the yeah, you, you like that? I think that's a really interesting film in relation to 9-11 cuz mm -hmm. you know it has like a lot of direct parallel imagery you know with the yes, top yes. down destruction of the buildings and all that yes. but yeah the main theme was this invader from outer space and all the world had to come together to fight this invader and even the aliens that they depict in this movie they they look like they you could you could interpret them as looking as if like like a like a typical kind of muslim with a turban the way their their heads were shaped and all uh, that it's that's crazy yes and it's not and that movie goes that's the that movie's that's many many years uh, old uh, but even to this day the movies like the avengers mm -hmm. uh, uh captain america um most of the superhero movies that take place in new york city in some cases called gotham but it's still new york city so they have the imagery there you know they have the 
the the skyscrapers here, and you can clearly identify them. And if you watch these movies enough, you realize that there is there are a lot of parallels to September 11. Buildings exploding and people running down the street and buildings collapsing and all that you know the warfare and fighting against this terrorist in many cases from outer space. Okay, <laughs> yeah. But the point is 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 that um, movies themselves function as triggers to the trauma of September 11, 2001. And people, that's why we have to be very careful. If you do have that traumatization, then you have to be careful when you're seeing that imagery and being clear about the effect. Because a lot of times what happens is that the the only reason why people have these emotional uh, reactions to the, these movies, which are really just stage shows, is because they, uh, they associate what they're seeing, the imagery, with September 11, 2001. And the subconscious mind doesn't distinguish between past, present, or future, or fairy tales, or, or, or fanciful events. Everything is perceived to be real, and everything is perceived to be taking place right now so so the point being is that what we see on the, the in the super uh, uh hero movies the x-men and so forth and so on especially when they're in new york city um what it is doing on a subconscious level is is it is stimulating the trauma of september 11th because the imagery is so similar to the imagery that we saw on september mm-hmm. of 2001 and the subconscious mind doesn't make a distinction between reality and fantasy past present and future so in the essence the subconscious mind appear when it sees the imagery it as it, it assumes if you will that September 11th is taking place right now. And that's why people have this emotional response as they're watching this movie, even though these movies are, are just actors playing on a role. And in most cases, just green screen graphics being presented. But we interpret it as being reality because our subconscious trauma is being triggered. That's how deep it goes. That's why you have to be very careful. I want to say this, too. Um, my sons have not been traumatized by um this type by September 11th. And what, what I mean by this is that there are there is a generation of people being born who will not have that particular traumatization. Now, the thing mm-hmm. is that you can traumatize a child. And see, we, we homeschool our children. So a lot of the children, they get the trauma because on September 11th in, their, in the school system, they, they show the video footage and they talk about it. All you're doing is traumatizing these babies. It makes no sense to do that. Don't traumatize these videos with this heinous, egregious, destructive, death-ridden this imagery and showing it in classrooms. It's, it's totally inappropriate. But the point that I want to make is that children can be indoctrinated into what I call the 911 fear-based mind control program. And they are traumatized after the after fact. They may be born three years ago or five years ago after September 11, 2001 but they can still be traumatized and then that subconscious trauma is embedded within embedded within them and then later on that trauma can be triggered now the thing is this with my sons they understand the 911 fear-based mind control program and point of fact some of the concepts that i've talked about here they already understand it because i've talked with them about it when i was writing the book you know we had these dialogues they even asked me what is that i was looking at the video footage i explained to them september 11th and they came and they saw it from an intellectual standpoint because my analysis was in intellectual based not emotion emotion driven so what i'm saying is that we can raise a generation of, of boys and girls who will not be impacted by this programming that is ongoing so that when there is an event and they say this is our September 11th, our sons and daughters won't say, okay, this is September 11th somehow. This is associated with death destruction that took place on September 11, 2001. And then they have this physio- emotional response, even a physiological response, a psychological response based upon that manipulative technique of subliminal association. But if we train them to intellectualize what took place, coming from an intellectual standpoint, they will make a clear distinction. Wait a minute. This is not the same as September 11th. And you're not triggering a trauma because I don't have the trauma that so many people have that's associated with September 11th. And therefore, I can see the manipulation from an intellectual standpoint point from for what it truly is, as opposed to being manipulated by this type of manipulation. So part of what I'm saying is that it's, it's, it's part of our as parents, for those of y'all who have children, it is part of your job to raise intellectual beings and then also ensure that they are not being 
being programmed with their different degrees of manipulation, especially the subconscious programming that is based upon trauma. I call it trauma-based mind control programming. We've got to be very, very careful with that. Right, and then if somebody has the tools to process it consciously, they're not going to be uh, reactive. Like They're not going to just react to things that are put out there for them to react. That's what it's you know, designed to do where, you know, we give a, we're given a stimulus and then we react to it. And then we, and then, and then we trigger all the pre-programmed responses that we've gotten through the pop culture. Yes. And that's why I think that like that movie Independence Day, like, you know, it, it it came out years before 9-11. And I got to thinking about that for a minute. I said, okay, well that, that particular uh, genre of film, you know, with alien invaders and all that stuff, it's like, what what you know what what is that type of film generally um is is crafted to appeal to like a, a like an adolescent or a pre-adolescent right yes you, you know f- for the most part and um and if you think about the timing of the release of that particular film and all the direct parallels and the imagery and the whole uh uh the the plot line and everything uh and how it how it so closely re- uh parallels you know 911 and then this introduction of this new uh global enemy of this you know the the muslim terrorists and all that mm-hmm. it's it's that 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 movie would have uh been perfectly timed to come out to be directed towards pre uh, adolescents pre adolescents and then when 911 came about they would be war fighting age and ready to go into the military that's how it works that's how it works absolutely that's how it works and see a lot of people oblivious to that some people say no it's 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 a coincidence no when it comes to script writing there is no coincidence um script writers are ingenious people they really are geniuses people need to be very clear about that uh because i've done analysis in terms of of you know what what i call the global motion picture stage show and how things play themselves out over time um, and I consider myself to be a halfway decent intellectual person, but I take my hats off to these individuals. You know, I'm talking about the script writers. And this doesn't mean that they're, you know, so powerful because if you have a level of intellectual process, the script writing doesn't have the same effect on you. You just simply see it for what it is. And I don't see it as being this overwhelming force because I come to it from a vantage point of in- intellectual sovereignty. But the point that I want to make is that I take my hats off. It's not off to them. It's not that what they're doing is the right thing to do. But in terms of the depths of its effectiveness, Mm-hmm. They are masterful, and you have to take your hats off to people who can who can materialize this type of manipulation because it shows that they understand the science on a level to where they can manipulate people on a global level. This does not mean that it's overwhelming, however, because it's always quite subtle. Most people are oblivious to it; and it's always quite subtle. But if you understand the manipulative techniques, you understand human psychology, and you see you and you observe the script writing over time, you'll be able to see the correlations between the movie, the, such as uh, Independence Day, and then what you see many years later. It's just predictive programming, and you can see it play itself out over. Over and over and over again. At a certain point, the predictive programming becomes entertaining because then you can see what's being taken place in advance to prepare people for what's going to take place in the quote-unquote real world. What I'm saying is what takes place in the movies, fantasy, and how that prepares people for what takes place in reality later on down the line. It could be a year later, five years later, ten years later, or 25 years later. When you see that global motion picture stage show uh, taking place, it no longer impacts you. And then you can get to the point where you come to a level of sovereignty where you can talk with people about it and explain to people how this is taking place and therefore it doesn't have the same effect on people. It all comes back to, to, to where, how we think about these things and whether or not we, we are, do our due diligence to analyze, to research, and study. When you do those things, the programming does not impact you anymore. And if enough of us on planet Earth did that, the programming would not have the same effect. 
Okay, and I'm not saying that the programming is right. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that it's quite effective. But just because it is effective doesn't mean that we can't over, overcome it and transcend it. I know that I have. And as I have, I realize how deep it goes. It is some serious science. And therefore, I take my hats off to the people who put together these script writers. The script writers who put together these global motion picture stage show, what we see in politics, are no different than the ones who put together the, the Hollywood stage shows. It's no different. I mean, it's just script writing. It's, it's a, a level of expertise. It's just like any other occupation. Now, what they're doing may not be the right thing to do in terms of manipulating people, but they are quite effective at it. What I'm saying is that we really do have to begin to take a critical look at human psychology, make sure we do our research on manipulation, subliminal messages, also look at history, look at how these things from Edward Bernays, you can go before that, but Edward Bernays, Bernays is an excellent place to start, and look at how these patterns emerge, and at a certain point you realize that it doesn't have the same effect once you come into a level of intellectual understanding. Set the emotions aside. When you get to the level of emotional uh, intellectual understanding, it no longer has an effect, and if we did that as a species, if we evolve intellectually speaking and psychologically speaking to where we can understand this degree of manipulation, it would no longer impact us as it has. Yeah, well said. I totally agree. I, I, I think what what prevents a lot of people from kind of even entertaining a lot of these ideas is is just the fear. Yes, the, the fear that they're that they have, you know, that you know that they have this you know subconscious uh, manipulation that's happened to them. And I think there's a tendency f for people in general dealing maybe with their own kind of childhood traumas or any, you know, anything like that. You could point to it. it's like this sort of uh, de denial that people, they really don't want to deal with those uncomfortable feelings that will come to the surface when you start dealing with a lot of stuff on a conscious level. And there's a tendency to want to push that back down and into the subconscious and keep it there. But like uh, we were talking about before, that 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 doesn't mean uh, it, it's, it went away because it can manifest itself in many different harmful ways. Like and one of them is, you know, the, the physiological effects of, you know, having, you know, some kind of chronic ailment or something develop because your mind has to deal with it. It has to mm -hmm. has to do something with with, with that um, with that unresolved conflict there. And, it, you know, it's it's going to manifest itself in some way or another. Yes, yes. And that's why it's important for us to take charge and make sure that consciously we're dealing with it. And, you know, continue to sweep it under the rug. And in particular, the trauma of September 11th, it is it's totally counterproductive. It really is. We have to be courageous enough to do it. And it's not easy either. Um, because what happens, especially for me, is as I dealt with the, dealt with the trauma of September 11th, a lot of my other childhood traumas began to surface. Right. So I had to begin to deal with those and process those, too. Um, it's not easy, but it's absolutely necessary. We will not come to a place of intellectual sovereignty as a species until such time that we engage in the proper levels of psychological healing, in particular the submerged subconscious traumas that we all carry, much of which come uh, from childhood experience, but, but for a vast majority of us, for sure, came out of the, the events of September 11, 2001. We have to process those things. We have to be courageous enough, and it's doable. It is totally doable, and it is so empowering when you come out on the other side. It is so very empowering. That's, why, that's, that's one of the things I just want to say is that, uh, again, these topics are serious topics, but none of them are, are – are, I mean, it's not as if they're not transcendable. In other words, we all have the power to overcome these particular issues. We all have the power to overcome the trauma associated with September 11, 2001, but we have to engage it in order to do that. Now, we can't process that trauma and engage if we're coming from a place of emotionalism. Because anytime you come from a place of emotionalism, ranting and raging, and we got to fight the new world order, when you come from that vantage point, 
it's emotionalism. And if you have emotional uh, trauma, like September 11, 2001, then your perception of things is it's going to be based upon trauma. And if you're seeing through the lens of trauma, you will not see the truth. I'm going to say it again. If you're seeing through the lens of your trauma, you will never see the truth. You have to see things intellectually from the vantage point of your healing because now you have clarity. When you have clarity, when you, when you transcend into trauma, you will see truth for what it really is. The problem with traumatization is that there is so much fear associated with dealing with the trauma. And in some cases, when we, when we re-experience re the trauma or we revisit the trauma, um, we begin to feel fearful all over again, and that fear compromises the intellectual process. And so long as we comp have, we come from the vantage point of compromisation in terms of intellectually, we will never see things for what they truly are. We will only see through the lens of trauma. So that's why it is so important for us to really begin to dissect all of our traumas in life, but in particular September 11th, when we get into the six weeks leading up to September 11, 2001, for those of y'all who are listening to this right here right now, we get close to September 11th, six weeks going in, Watch what's taking place in the news, the types of stories, all designed to trigger your trauma. And you can use this as an opportunity to heal that trauma. Take a conscious approach to it. You look at the stories that are coming up, that will come up in the news. I can predict them in advance because it happens every single year. Terrorism, bomb plots. I outline all this inside the book. Mm -hmm. Al-Qaeda, now ISIS, the mythical ISIS. Um, potential terror threats, plane problems, plane crashes. Anything that deals with a plane problem come, starts to come up inside the news. It's not that these stories don't come out during the other, other points in the year, but you start to see a heavy concentration during this time. Use this as an opportunity to heal the trauma associated with September 11th. I give three examples of uh, three things that people can do in terms of healing the trauma, but you can also just take the events that will be coming out inside the news that will be reported on as an opportunity to see the programming for what it really is. When you do that and you face the trauma, you will come into a level of intellectual sovereignty. And once you come into a level of intellectual sovereignty, you will be so much more empowered. And this was my process. And if I can get through it, anyone can. Fear is, I mean, fear is an option, but it's not absolutely necessary. You can come in with, with being a courageous individual, handle your trauma, deal with your trauma, heal your trauma, and you will find that when you come out on the other side, you will be much, much more empowered. And then a lot of the programming that you see will no longer impact you. It's a very powerful place to be. Yeah, I think it's really a good place to be to see, to understand the world around you and how it really works. And and then uh, you come to an understanding, too, that, oh, there's not a whole lot to fear because the the fear that I've, that I've been uh, conditioned to to respond to the, the, the fearful imagery and the stuff that, that's been put out there, uh, all these different scenarios, aren't, aren't even based in anything. They're, they're all based in a in in uh, a myth that's been created to to control my mind to control me and it's like uh, it, once you under once you come to a full understanding of that and what what's being attempted on you it, it yeah it just doesn't work anymore mm -hmm. it yeah, doesn't have the effect and just to go back to what you brought up earlier on in our conversation a lot of what we fear it's unreal and it's just based upon advertisements <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, it's a sales pitch. You know? That's right. It's a sales pitch. That's all. Right? And so, if you even yeah. look at it that way, I mean, that's why it was it was well said when you said that. It really made me think. If we even just look at it in terms of just being a sales pitch, we can either choose to buy it or not. <laughs> right. Yeah. Just say, hey, I ain't buying it. That's right. And that's I'm all not. there is to it. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. You have to buy into it. You have to, uh, uh, you know, allow that to. Um, to, to take over your mind and allow it to, uh, you know, rule you subconsciously and consciously, you know, if, if, and if it's allowed to happen, it's, it's, it's going to happen. And then 
you'll be a participant in this sort of self-fulfilling prophecy about, you know, the, the future dystopia that we all know is coming from all the movies that have told <laughs> yes, us that, oh, the future is going to look like this and it's going to yes, suck. Yes, you know? yes. My wife, she always mentions that because like, we, we, we try to find movies. It's very hard to find good movies. It really is. And we're very critical. But we notice usually we have a five-minute rule. You know, we give it five minutes, and, and based upon what we see, we, we say, okay, well, let's give it another ten minutes. Or we say, you know what, this isn't worth watching. And you'd be amazed at how many movies we've gone and, and within the first five minutes, it's the you know it's the, the the whole what, what was the term you said? Uh, I forgot the term that uh, uh, the future that is uh, annihilated. What you said? This what was a dis something? Dystopian. Like yes, the, dystopian. I'm sorry. Uh -huh, yeah. I could, yeah, dystopian. You'd be amazed at how many films starts off with that. Yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, okay, here's yeah. the future, everything That's sucks, right. it's all, right. you know, everything's screwed and, up. And she's commented so many times, oh, here's one, another one of those movies. Right. And so what we do is we just don't watch. And, and it is so true that it's very difficult. And that's part of the program. I mean, a lot of us, we believe that that's how the future is going to be. But it's a, and then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Well, that's that's we have to buy that. Right. We have to buy in to that particular manipulation. We have to buy into that advertisement. We have to buy into that form of public relations and buy into that propaganda. But we can also choose not to buy into it. And I don't I don't buy into it. I don't even like watching movies about that type of stuff. We just OK, five minute rule. It's over with. Yeah. Well, like a lot of stuff that's in the news right now it's like um you know the black community against the police oh, and yes. i was talking about that uh last night and uh you know this is being all perpetuated by the media and and then you know like okay so now they got imagery of like people riding in the streets and you know it, it, it's mainly like black people and it's like well what does that do well that that's gonna steer up you know, people in the you know so-called middle class or middle middle America or something like that, and um, and point to that and say, oh yeah, see how those people are, and see how to, you know they're 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 wild savages and stuff like mm -hmm. that, and then that in turn justifies the the police and the, and their use of force and all yes. that. So it's like it ha it's just totally counter to what it allegedly is supposed to. The, to be as an answer to um but but you know i think there's like you know it, it's it's justified in a, it to a degree but it doesn't serve any purpose other than to continually perpetuate the very thing that is supposed to supposedly being fought against yes 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 and i recently did a video on youtube uh, my youtube page is linen honor uh films um where i talk about that particular uh situation and I give my analysis, and, and particularly from a psychological standpoint, and you're absolutely right that um, there is, <clears throat> especially in the United States of America, not everyone can relate to this, especially if, if you haven't studied, if, even if you live outside the United States, but, but and, and you've studied um, uh, history, and talk, I'm talking about uh, quote-unquote American history, or let's say U.S. history, you'll probably have a better understanding in terms of um, uh, racial relationships in this country. It's never been in good standing, and still are not. You know, and for the most part, it's mm -hmm. still not. Now, you and I, we can talk, you know, but this because we've come to a level of intellectual understanding, and we understand that race as a concept, it is, in point of fact, a divisive technique. It's an illusion. In, in essence, it's not backed by scientific evidence. Proof. I can talk to you as a man. You can talk to me as a, as a man. There's a respect level here that goes along with that. But that's not the case for all people who live in the United States of America. Okay? So what, what I want to say is that we have to be clear about um, how the reaction that we see, not just from black people, but also from white people, and then people just in general, is also based upon a trauma. 
See, and this is what I mean by when we really start to delve into psychology and really understand subconscious minds, conscious mind and, and how trauma impacts us. The trauma that I'm referring to is simply racial trauma that exists here in the United States. That is, is long going. It's long. And it's always an issue. It really is. An, it's, it's always an, an issue unless you face your own programming, your own racial programming, um, unless you deal with the traumas that you have experienced that are associated with the concept of race. And see, most of us, we don't do that. In the United States of America, we are kind of like hush, hush. We, we only talk about it when something like this happens. But under normal circumstances, we don't want to talk about it. But the, but, but the point that I'm getting, is that, uh, getting at is that the, that the reaction, again, it's all reactionary that we see with the rioting, the looting, uh, with also people's comments on the outside looking in where they say things like, and I've seen this posted on forum or not forums, but you know, under the headlines, you should go look and look at people's comments. Look at these savages. This is just subconscious terminology and programming that's coming out. That's based upon a historical race-based trauma that exists here in the United States. So mm-hmm. this is what I mean by the reactions that we see. It's not, these are not intellectual reactions per se. And whether it's the people who are looting or the people who are calling, you know, people who are looting call them savages because it's both counterproductive, right? You're still demeaning other people. You're still demoralizing right. other people. And in the case of looters, you're destroying your own community. It's not intellectual. But the reason why it's not intellectual is because we have not dealt with the subconsciously embedded trauma that's associated with all of the decades and centuries of race-based traumatization that is taking place here in the United States of America. So this is another example, and, and I invite uh, people to go and check out my video out um, on YouTube when you have a chance. Um, I think it's titled um, something to the effect of uh, police brutality, something like that. If I, if, matter of fact, let me see if I can, I can pull it up because I, I think it would be good for people to, to get a different vantage point um, on that particular uh, topic because I don't look at it as, you know, uh, black people against um, the police. I don't look at it that way. I look at it as police officers need to be held accountable when they abuse, but then also black people need to be accountable when they abuse. And if we are held more accountable as black people, it would make a huge difference in terms of how other people treat us. Right. So it's just a different way of looking at it. But let me pull this up real quickly um, here on my YouTube page. And my, again, for anyone, you can look up my YouTube page. It's Lennon Honor. Have you ever worried about? Oh, excuse me. Uh, here is the title, uh, Freddie Gray and Police Brutality. So when people get a chance to take a look, check it out. Uh, it will definitely give you some food for thought. Yeah, I, I, I think it, it is like um, whatever's put out there in the media is, is you know, and, you know, especially stuff, not necessarily every single story, but um, if, if you look at the, the, the stuff that's pumped up, you know, that's, 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 uh, you know, that it's, you know, it, it's going to serve some sort of agenda if it's on every news outlet at the same time. And then it's, it's sort of the topic of the day. Um, it, it is there to serve a certain outcome, a desired outcome that's going to serve the system or the elite or ho- however you want to say that. And, um, and I think that that imagery of looting and rioting and all that stuff it it it, it serves the authoritarian state yep. mindset. Yes, yes, yes. It's yes. like we yes. need this militarized police to deal with just this thing because mm-hmm. I think there's like like you're talking about this racial uh, program that's been going on since you know the history of this country. It's always been an issue. And that and that has always, you know, uh, been a part of, you know, the whole living in this, you know, this so-called society. And 
that that can always be steered back up and put into people's minds. And and I think by taking that and then associating it with the imagery of the militarized cop coming in with their full all their full regalia and their mili- and their armored personnel carriers and all that stuff mm-hmm. like that it it just lends legitimacy to that in yes. in many many people's minds yes yes so yes like Absolutely. we need this cuz look how things can so quickly go out of control yes yes but that again this speaks to how mass media the power that mass media has to really spin a particular story in a particular way you know so so there Absolutely. were and i outlined this in the video like there is a difference there's a people there were people who were marching and, and peaceful protesting right and that's a good thing people should do that if they feel like it's it's going to be beneficial to them they're not hurting anyone but then there are also the rioters and the looters what happened happened was that once the rioting and looting started to take place, that's all that mass media reported on, because now it becomes this sensationalized event, and they show the video footage and they show the rioting, and that's all they focus in on. Even though there's other people who are peacefully protesting and marching, nice, nothing, no problem, but but it doesn't serve the purpose of uh, the self fulfilling prophecy that somehow we have to have more policing, more empowered, you know, and military grade. Um, firearms, military-grade rifles, military-grade uh, body armor, military-grade uh, vehicles. You know, we, mm-hmm. we have to have this. But see, the thing is that, that what people are missing out is it, it's not just to validate, you know, um, uh, this isn't just validated by the behavior of the rioters and looters, right? In other words, this is not the solution just for them. Ultimately, right. in terms of the agenda, this is to be a solution for all of us at some point. Yeah, but then first, you know, like we're talking about how everything is a marketing campaign, they have to sell it. And I think the the best way to sell it, I mean, blacks, black people are just being used as pawns, of course, um, in the sales pitch, you know, yes. and then who do they have to convince? Well, they have to convince the they'll go after the majority and the majority happens to be white faces, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. in, in this culture. So uh, so they need the other to point to, you know, and, and black and black people serve that useful function as being the other, like, mm-hmm. you know, f- f- for the time being, you know, it, until we go back to the other being the guy in the turban. You know, <laughs> that's he, what, yeah. And it's, the, that's right. mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's all yeah, it's all sales and marketing. So so now, you know, OK, now we need to take a break from Muslim terrorism and let's go to the to the to the uh, the, the the you know, fear of the black man and the you know or the, the black people in the inner cities and all this stuff that is is a is a constant theme i think ongoing theme and and i and i think the way the reason why it works so well is because you know dark skin is like uh the sort of you know my, of course minority and and they could they take that and use that divide and conquer and and say um you know, here here is something to fear, and then it, it there's more validity. That's why I think you know, uh, police profiling and stuff like that. I think that's intrinsic in policing. I think that's that's what they do, and they're already trained to see everybody uh, that's not a cop as the other. Yes. And then when somebody comes along, I mean, they could look like a hippie and be white, and and and. And that establishes in their mind confirmation that, okay, here's somebody I, I need to look out for. And, you know, especially like if, if they see a black person, that's that's an, that's the other. And then that just having the dark skin is further confirmation of that. See what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and and of course they profile. I think that that is something that's totally unavoidable when you have 
the the uh, the standing army among the people, which is known as the police, and that's and their job is to um, be you know to exist and be in that mindset where they they are this uh, occupying force among the people to keep to keep us in check. Yeah. Yes. And you bring up an important point, just how mass media, you know, if it's to their benefit, they will focus on specific topics and specific issues. This is something I address in, in my video, Freddie Gray and police brutality. And you notice how during this time period, you're not hearing anything about ISIS. Very little about right. terrorism and, you know, and see, it just it clicks on. You turn it on, you turn it off. So whatever serves the purpose, I just want people to be clear that um, though we can look at the rioters and looters and say, you know, um, and demean them because there are people that just say some horrible things on, on, you know, that you look at the comment section, these people, they're out of control. They're savages and this black people, this black, and it's just, again, this is all based upon racist ideology and, and in particular race-based trauma. Um, it's easy to do that, but we have to be aware of the fact that the reason why people have become so emotionally invested in this particular topic. And I'm, I'm talking about just the police brutality and, and, you know, the rioting and looting that's taking place that was taking place in Baltimore is simply because mass media decided to report on it to the degree and spin it to the degree that they have spun it. That's the only reason why, because these types of stories and these types of events, it's not like they're not happening every single day. Police brutality, oh, right. right? It's right. happening. But, but if you can get some video footage, and if you can you can uh, frame it in a particular way, you can have this same result take place every single time. And guess what, ladies and gentlemen, it will happen again. And people will have the same types of comments. And the, and the police officer, what it does, it serves a purpose. Again, the externalization of power. This is why we need the police uh, force and military-grade equipment out here on the streets, policing these people. Again, right. always externalizing power to the police officers, but then also all, using the divide-and-conquer technique to divide us amongst each other. But that divide and, to, to, to be divided is only the result of, can only take place, I should say, if we have subconsciously embedded tra uh, trauma that's associated with race and racism and the different levels of abuse that we have experienced within this country, the United States of America, uh, the different levels of race-based abuse. If you heal that particular trauma, then the way in which people are reacting to these types of stories, good or bad for that matter, will definitely change. A lot of people, the way that we're reacting is in a very negative way. It, it's conflict. We, we get into conflict. You see people arguing on, on the Internet. You see black people saying, I hate white people. You see white people saying, I hate black people. You see black people saying, I hate police officers. You see white people supporting police officers. Some white people say, that I don't like black, uh, black people. I don't like police officers either. I don't, I don't like white police officers, but I like black. So it goes on and on and on, but it's not intelligent. It's not designed to be intelligent. How can it be intelligent when we're coming from a place of emotional trauma? That's why we, the, the goal should always be to heal the trauma, and in this case, to heal the race-based trauma that had existed in this country, United States of America, for hundreds of years. Nothing's going to change until we deal with this particular issue. We tend not to deal with it. What we tend to do is to lash out when these types of events take place and it becomes all about the emotions. And what mass media does, we're going to promote it that way. It's about emotionalism and sensationalism. If a building's born, burning, let's show that. If they're rioting and looting, let's show that. Let's not show the police, uh, uh, the police who are out here uh, trying to keep people safe. And let's not show the people who are marching peacefully and peacefully demonstrating uh, th their um, uh, issue with police brutality. Let's not show that anymore. We're going to show the stuff that really stimulates the, the hardcore emotions in people that is really rooted in subconscious trauma associated with race. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's. Uh, yeah. I, I mean. I just kind of came to this realization during our discussion here. It's a really good discussion, really thought provoking, and how, you know, like looking at, 
a lot of this stuff as as yeah yeah like a marketing or a sales pitch and i think you know when we see this stuff in the media and we see it hammered and and pumped up and and blown up all, all out of proportion and and really focused on um I think it, that's a that's a good way to look at it. It's it's like to ask yourself the question is like, oh, what's the pitch? Mm-hmm. What's what what's the punchline? And what's the pitch? And what am I? What what is it they're trying to sell? That's right. That's right. What am I being sold? This goes back to what you said in the beginning. Again, um, it's advertising. It really is. We're being sold a mentality. We're being in some cases we're actually being sold goods, but in this case we're support. We're being we're being sold a mentality. And we're also being sold on this illusion that somehow we have to externalize power because if we don't, we will never be safe. You see? So, so it comes back to that. It's just advertisement. And again, once we begin to understand these dynamics, and a lot of the things that we talked about here, anyone, I mean, this is, we can understand these things. I think that it's clear. It's intellect based. It's, it's nothing, it's, it's nothing that is, is so profound. I mean, this, these are things that once we really understand, we can really begin to look at things from an intellectual standpoint and see things for what they really are. And then all of the sales pitches that we receive. We can dissect them and we can ask the question whether or not you want to buy or not. The problem is, is that so many of us, we buy without even knowing what we're being sold. And that's the true challenge. That's the true travesty, if you will. We buy into things and we don't and we buy things, thoughts and ideas, even products sometimes. And we don't even have a use for it. It's not useful. It's not to our benefit. And then in the end, we don't even realize why we bought it. In some cases, we don't even realize that we actually bought it. (laughs) You see what I'm saying? (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And. Carry, carry, carry it around with you your whole life, and you, right. you you don't even know why you're carrying around these this heavy baggage, you know. That's right. And some people will never never put it down, you know. They're gonna carry it throughout their whole entire life, and then you know wonder why they have the 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 stress related ailments and the and and the problems and stuff, and they'll never attribute it to the to the the, the psychological bombardment that they're getting on uh, through television and the media every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah it's like yeah and it's always you notice it's always some damn crisis like every time you turn on it's like oh what's now what is it now oh oh yeah riding in the streets and what was it a couple of years ago oh it was maybe a little bit before that oh it was uh you had some really excellent videos when the bp oil spill yes happened mm-hmm. and, and you were talking about that yeah i, I remember watching your videos on that when that was going on. Yeah, and I, I can no. give a whole list of, of examples of, of, you know, these sensationalized events. They really turn out to be nothing but put people in a state of fear. You know, swine flu, bird flu, H1, <laughs> um, uh, reptilian shapeshifters as just as a something that we're, we're sold. And no evidence or yeah. proof per se. Um, swine flu, SARS. Um, Fukushima. Fukushima, right? Remember, and uh, I live in California. Just real quickly here, because I know we we're running up against the clock here, but real quickly, I live in California, and you will be amazed at how that particular programming impacted people in California, because what they were saying was that all of the radiation fallout was going to hit California. And so you get these iodide pills and you go get them and you, and you take these pills and this will protect you from all the radiation. Do you all know that a few hours after this propaganda, again, it's a sales pitch. And right. a lot of people made a lot, or at least a handful of people who had those pills made a, and were selling those pills made a whole lot of money. Oh yeah! Within a couple of hours, those pills were sold out all throughout California, at least on the west coast of California, I should say. Okay, at least on the west coast of California. Now, what happened as a consequence? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> there was no radiation fallout. Nothing took place, but the propaganda was issued, and people bought into it. 
And then out of this story, and this is how it works, when nothing takes place, something else is some other threat is presented. Okay, same thing with BP oil spill. At first, no oil shows of washes of massive amounts of oil wash up on shore. It didn't have millions of people die because of oil washing up on shore. So you say Corexit was used, okay? And then now right. millions upon millions of people are going to die because of Corexit. Did that happen? No. But what I'm saying is with the Fukushima, after the fallout didn't take place, now they say, well, look, all of the massive amounts of debris that was washed out to shore uh, during the earthquake and, and subsequent tsunami is, is actually, or the, the, yeah, the earthquake and subsequent tsunami is going to be, end up hitting the west coast of California. And we're going to be bombarded. And, you know, people were so fearful about this. People are talking about it. They're fearful. Uh, you know, they're, it's so ridiculous. And then what happens? All these years later, nothing took place. Right. But see, what I'm uh -huh. saying is that people bought into something that simply was not true. Oftentimes, yeah. buy into things that are not true. And, and in some cases, we don't even realize that we bought into them. We thought that, that this radiation was coming. And, and they said on the news, well, make sure before you get in your car, you wash your car off with water. And you have people here in California. These are people who are supposed to be intellectual people, doctors uh -huh. and lawyers. Right. Quote, unquote, officials. And they go out here and they want to wash this supposed radiation off their car. So they go get the water hose and wash their car off before they drive to work. Total insanity ladies and gentlemen well, this is the degree of the media manipulation it really and is and then they did they come later and say oh yeah people are using too much water we got a oh, here, and here water go. shortage crisis <laughs> <laughs> it's always something right <laughs> yeah absolutely i mean i when that first started being pumped up about you know that oh yeah radiation's coming i i was talking about this and i said okay everybody like go just just pull up google maps and and bring up japan Mm -hmm. And then start zooming out and then see how okay, – think about where that reactor is and think about – it's not even represented by a single pixel once you start yeah. to zoom out yes. a little bit. Yes. And then yes. zoom out a little bit more and then look at the – Look at the vastness of the ocean and the vastness of the uh, – just, just what you could perceive from a map mm -hmm. and, and think about what – what could possibly be emanating out of that tiny little Microsoft spec that's yes. going to do anything to you thousands of miles away? I mean, it's just so it just just no common sense, no no analytical uh, thought involved in it. It's just oh, it, it's coming and be afraid. Yeah, well, it's a lack of critical thinking. It's a lack of, and that's the other thing. People don't realize the expanse that we're talking about here. And I think that for most people. The expansiveness of the of the ocean is far beyond our, our ability to conceptualize. It really is. So that's why when when the BP oil spill was all in the news and, and you know miss massive amounts of oil is going to cover the Gulf. I'm thinking you guys realize how massive the Gulf Coast region oh, is. Yeah. It's totally it's totally impossible for that uh, for massive amounts of oil <laughs> to wash up on in all the tributaries and, and waterways. It's 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 scientifically impossible and yet this is what was proposed and at the end of the day that massive amounts of oil wash up on shore throughout the gulf region absolutely not and yet people bought into again they bought the illusion and people were put into extreme levels of fear over something that turned out to be pretty much nothing you see and where and, is it where is it coming from it's coming out of the ground that's right it, it, and 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 you got to think okay here's here, here's maybe some critical thinking it's like well could you imagine any other scenario where the ground might, the seafloor might be broken open and, and, and some oil would escape. <laughs> of course that happens. You know, it's happening like, right now. It's happening right now. Yeah, right. it's right now. As we speak, yeah. there's probably millions of tons of oil seeping out of the ocean floor Naturally. right now as we speak. Mm -hmm. Naturally. But it's yeah. not a problem because it's nutrients for 
because the, they say that like fish and plankton and stuff goes nuts on the stuff. It's it's like it's nutrients. It's, uh, it's, you, you, those big uh, uh, what do they call them? Tar balls. They'll yes. wash up the shore and they're covered with barnacles. The barnacles are trying to get on them. Everything's trying to eat it and get mm. on it. Mm-hmm. And that's that's one of the justifications when they, when the oil wasn't washing up on shore. They started and this again. I'll follow this close. They have a documentary, Meet a Microtron, the BP oil is going to go from Mexico. One of the most important documentaries that anyone can watch when we talk about media mind control and manipulative techniques, uh, subliminal messages, so forth and so on. But I, I remember that at a certain point, and this was after the documentary was done, or at least I think I think the a portion of it was done. Um, one of the the headlines was, "Where is all the oil?" So you're saying there's massive amounts of oil washing up on shore and you're propagandizing this as a doomsday-like scenario, and especially an alternative uh, media. They say we're going to use nukes on it. Okay, this is a doomsday-like <laughs> scenario. Uh, oh, and gosh. yet, when nothing takes place, no massive amounts of oil washes up on shore, they start asking the question, where is all the oil? What do you mean, where is all the oil? That's like, that's like saying that there's an imminent threat, but you don't know where the threat is and you have no idea that the threat is even real, but you promote it as being this threat. So what happened was they started making excuses, and one of the excuses was that microorganisms ate up all the oil. <laughs> yeah, imagine that. Look, this was reported on in the news. Let me give you two other ones. Another one was that the oil went underground because that's what oil does, right? It doesn't. Mm-hmm. It doesn't float on top of water. It goes underground. It comes up onto the shore and then it goes under the the, the dirt <laughs> somehow. Yeah. Another one was that um, the the oil uh, went down into the sea and it just kind of is down there still looming somehow, right? But but the idea is that the evidence and proof that you would need, intellectually speaking, would be mass amounts of oil to wash up on shore if this is the greatest right. ecological catastrophe. Like they predicted it would. Yes, yes. But in that in that this didn't take place and that it wasn't the greatest ecological catastrophe over time as they predicted it to be. Now you have to make excuses. And the alternative news in particular, what they began to say was that Corexit was being used. But guess what? Because Corexit was being used to, to, to dis, uh, disperse all this oil, now Corexit is going to kill thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. I even saw people saying things like millions of people are going to die in the Gulf Coast. Oh, yeah. Here we are all these years later. Did any of that come to pass? Absolutely not. We buy into illusions time and time again. And at some, some point, we have to start asking critical questions. And that's really what it comes down to. Yeah, and then there's like, where's the follow-up? I mean, I, and how easy is it? I, I got on the phone and I called to, um, it was a, it was a, it, it was a fishery mm-hmm. in, uh, near the Gulf, right on the coast there, right where it would have been the hardest hit right there. And I just got a guy on the phone. Um, he, he was the owner of that business. And I just started asking him questions. And I was like, hey, how's the fishing? How's it going down there? It's like, is it just, mass destruction like we're told on the news he's like no absolutely not he said the only problem that we're experiencing is that people are afraid to come out down here and eat fish that's right Mm -hmm. so that's the problem it's like that and it was like oh so yeah the media created a problem for your business there yeah absolutely absolutely and then they try to say that the problem is the oil spill no the the people at their businesses they didn't have a problem with the massive oil spill because there wasn't a massive oil spill that was washing up on their shores they had a problem with the fact that all the fear-mongering associated with the bp oil spill was was actualized in mass media which was manipulating people's behavior it was it was modifying people's behavior so people didn't go down to to go to the fisheries and and to go to get the food and the fish down there as another example I i was doing radio shows during this time and people were calling in who lived in Florida and was like, no, we're just fine. We're absolutely fine. Um, this is how deep it is. This, and then, let me just say this. This is how deep this goes, how impactful this is, and how it can mi- impact people's behavior. There was someone who called me, and, and this was uh, while all this was going on, and they said, you know, I was thinking about 
uh, moving down to Florida. And I live in the inner city, and it's, it's, it's rough out here. And I was thinking about, and if I move out here, out to Florida, I would have beach uh, front property. And, and I've already seen pictures, but I'm afraid. And I said, well, what are you afraid of? Well, I'm afraid of all of this oil. I said, okay, well, well, have you gone down there yet to go see? No, I haven't gone down there. He said, and I said, you should go down there and go check. So he says, you know, I'm going to go down there and go check. I'm going to go check out and see if, if I do decide to move on out here, the area that I'm going to be living in, see, uh, see, uh, seafront property, so forth and so on. So about two weeks later, because I'm doing a radio shows throughout this time dealing with the BP oil spill, two weeks later he calls me back and he says, you know what, I went down and I checked it out and there's not any problems. I talked to the, the people out there. There's not a problem out there. And then he said, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and move. He decides to move. And then about a month later, he calls into another show and he says, you know what? Me moving out to Florida has been the most important decision that I've made in my life. You see, so what I'm saying is that the illusions that we are, are, are we buy into can have a profound impact on us. It can stop us from making a life choice that will impact us in a positive way. But if we come from a place of research, because him going down there is part of the research, intellectual clarity, we don't succumb to all the fear mongering, overcome the fear, go and check it out. Do your due diligence. What do you find? And what he found was that what was being propagandized, the greatest ecological catastrophe of our time, was an illusion. And based upon that illusion, he was able to say to himself, I'm going to make this life change. And he made this life choice life change and it had a profound impact on his life in a positive way we got to look at things this way because it does have that type of an effect when we succumb to these degrees of media manipulation and mind control yeah what is fear you heard that it's uh false evidence appearing real that's right acronym. yeah that's right uh, yeah, mm -hmm. that's, uh, yeah that's that's a good example of how it directly affects people and and then it could could hamstring you and you're choices in life and stuff because you because you get so uh caught up in the in the fear mongering and that's right and i've been there too i just want to say this because i've been in that that paradigm i was in that paradigm for many years and i will say that i didn't begin to live my life fully until i came came out of that paradigm and i'm blessed as a as a consequence my family is also in a much better position my relationship with my wife my relationship with my children and then also in terms of what i've been able to actualize in these types of dialogues you know us and you and i having this conversation this would not be possible if, if i had not transcended that fear paradigm very important for people because you you come into a level of power and you stop externalizing your power you come into a level of personal sovereignty and personal power and it materializes and manifests and everything that you do and you will find that the way in which you move forward in life will be be much more empowered to actualize the type of reality that you want and then you simply don't buy into those things that are simply illusions that so many of us we bought into and i will admit i've bought into some of those in my life but at this point i'm very critical and i make sure that if i'm going to buy something that i know why i'm buying it i know that what i'm buying is true and real I'm also very critical in terms of when I decide to buy those things. It has to make sense in terms of my own progressions in life. And I think that we should approach it that way. So you don't, you're saying you don't rinse your car off in the morning when you go? <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, and, and it's just, it was so, it was so, so crazy. I mean, I remember that and, and people washing your, there's radiation. Yeah, but if you're walking out, if there's radiation, it doesn't matter if you wash it off, off your car, you're still walking out there. It's going to, you're still going to be exposed to it, right? So washing it off yeah. in your car, you're not, and then you get into your car and then you turn on the air conditioning and the circulating air that has quote unquote radiation in it, supposedly. Well, what's the difference? <laughs> You see, so it's it, what I mean, that's what I mean. It, I it's know. so deep and we have to think critically about these things and we have to be clear about what is true. And, and if we do decide to buy into those illusions, here's the last thing I just want to say on this. If we're going to buy into the illusion when it is revealed, because time always tells the truth, time always tells the truth. When it is revealed that the illusion is an illusion, the thing that you bought into that you believe was true, but that it was an illusion. 
we should have enough intellectual process to stop for a moment before you buy into another illusion. Stop for a moment and ask the question, why did I believe in this falsehood? And then who told me this falsehood? And then ask the question, should I continue to listen to what they have to say? And should I continue to buy into the illusions that they continue to promote? And the reason why this is important is because this is the first step to breaking that paradigm. I call it the fear-based mind control paradigm. You have to take a break from the illusions that you've been buying into so that you can see all the illusions for what they are and you can have proper discernment. And then from that point on, you can approach things from a more intellectual standpoint to where you can ascertain whether or not something is true. When you do that, then you can accept and you can buy the things that are true and that are meaningful and that are real as opposed to buying the things that are untrue, that are not meaningful, and the things that put you in a state of perpetual fear. And that's the great challenge, I think, for a lot of us. And it took me many, many years to get to the point where I stopped buying into the illusions, but I have to take a break from getting get, BPOs from the Gulf of Mexico. Now it's swine flu. I'm going to buy into that. It's swine flu. Now it's global bankers, the global elite. Now I'm going to buy into that. Nothing ever comes to pass. Nothing ever materializes. But instead of stopping and taking the time to analyze and think critically as to why I bought into these illusions, I would jump into another one. Well, you have to take time off and have some uh, break so that you can have uh, enough time to process what you just went through and the different degrees of traumatization and process that so that the next time around you will be clear in terms of what you're going to accept as being true. Exactly. Yeah, that's 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 the name of the game, right? Not not to uh not to be batted around like a tennis ball back and forth or a, i don't know i'm trying to try to think of an analogy but no no, no no that's a good yeah, analogy yeah. the tennis ball is is our mentality it's our mind which is batted back around back and forth back and forth and when we don't own it <laughs> how can you yeah. own it? you know you got to think critically in order to own your own your mind most people uh they don't own their mind they just rent it from time to time i have that that's one of my sayings they don't own their mind they just rent it from time to time and it's always being batted back and forth like a tennis game a tennis match back and forth you got the main news on one hand you got the alternative they just hitting you back and forth back and forth yeah. and it's just traumatizing traumatizing every single time you get hit it's traumatizing and you don't take a break so you can you can finally say hey wait a minute this is a this is madness and i'm not going to take this anymore and then you stop playing the game and when you stop playing the game then you begin to see truth for what it really is you also become much more empowered you're no longer that ball that's on that field being played we had a saying back in there you got played homie well, at a certain point, we have to stop getting played like that tennis ball that's being hit back and forth on that court. It's the court of media manipulation in essence. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's 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 getting played, and some people don't never get tired of it, I guess. They don't get tired <laughs> of getting played. It's like, the, yeah, uh, yeah, I know. It's like, it's like it's, it's, at some point, you, you know, it, it gets me too, like people that are, up in age and they and they you know they vote and stuff you know they get there or they get caught up in the whole right left paradigm uh, still uh, yes. and it's like you yeah. gotta be kidding me you can't yes, I, still yeah. believe in that after all this time can you and it's not, is that even possible you know it's like but you know some people just never never tire of it i guess like it, it you know it, it 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 i guess it gives them a degree of comfort or makes them feel like they have some control over things or something like that and they just don't want to let go of that yes uh, illusion you know yes and some people it just gives them a sense of identity i'm a leftist i'm a rightist you know i'm a i'm a alternative media i'm a i'm a truther right it's just these these titles that give us a sense of identity but the thing is that we should self-identify see whenever we look for someone else to give us an identity we're externalizing power when we internalize power we self-identify and it's it's a much more empowered place to be um, and I think that at some point, you know, as a species, we'll get to the point psychologically where more of us, we will understand why it is important for us 
um, to discontinue this this love hate affair with mass media and then all of the paradigms that come out of it, including the you know the political gang banging, you know a left right. Uh, paradigm, yeah. you know, Democrat, I'm a Republican. It's just political gang banging. I grew up, you know, in Southern California, so I understand bloods and crips and gang bangers. I had gang banging cousins, and so when I see these, you know, supposed authorities uh, banging, okay, it's just political gang banging. It's yeah. really no difference, but they are looking for an identity, just like those young African American males that I was growing up with. They were looking for an identity, so they joined the gang. Well, a lot of people, they just joined the political gang, but neither one is fruitful, neither one benefits people. I'm talking about collectively. And and I think that if we get to a point as a species where we begin to self-identify, I mean, you define yourself for who you are and you make the change that you want. You become the change that you want to see in the world. You will no longer externalize power onto these institutions, whether that is gang banging institutions or political banging institutions. The same rule applies. You will no longer externalize power. That game is so played out and a lot of older people follow in line with that. I think the younger people are starting to wake up to that paradigm and seeing it for what it truly is. But it's going to take a long time, I would propose, for us as a species to get to the point where we no longer buy into these illusion that somehow we have to have someone in control, a daddy figure, a mother, a mama figure who's in politics who's going to solve all of our problems. Many of those problems are simply illusions that are propagandized by mass media in the first place. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's uh, it, it, it's, it's something that's so entrenched in our society or culture, though. It's, it's kind of, you know, I think that's where racism comes out of and all these other isms come out of. It's like, you know, if, if we have if we have more people, like we're saying, being being individuals and, you know, thinking for themselves and stuff like that. And, th- and then another thing that would have to occur, too, is that you know, people have to learn to respect somebody else's differences or right. their own opinions and stuff that's like right. that. And, you, and, yeah, you see a lot of that where, you know, people – don't respect another person's uh individuality because mm-hmm. they're so conditioned to, to want to be this uh collective you know mm-hmm. um and that reminds me of another excellent video that you put out where you, you're talking about start the star trek and all the analogies yes. and stuff yes. in there and the borg mm-hmm. i think that that was really really good analysis of that yes and yes. how that is sort of this collectivist mindset and um and 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 that's what that's what we're dealing with now it's like this sort of you know you can't be a comfortable around anybody unless they're uh, have a degree of uh, a sameness of thought sameness of you know and 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 can't tolerate uh differences or individuality Mm -hmm. and that's that's so from so much conditioning i think from uh you know, like, well, it was the first thing you, they do to you when you go into the military. It's like, oh, they give you a uniform and they give you all the same haircuts, mm-hmm. and you and and they reinforce this uh, idea of everybody is part of one unit, and then they even call you a a, a, a unit or a or a, a, a battalion or whatever, and then you identify with that, and then you and you you you. you depart from your own individual identity and adopt this uh artificial identity that that is just you know imposed upon you and um that i I think that's happened that's that's happened to us uh, as as you know living in the society uh, you know and that comes through the institutions and all that it's that this um you know lack of uh 
lack of appreciation for people's differences, individual. other people's, yeah, mm-hmm. individuality and all of that. And, and, uh, yeah, I, I think that that's where a lot of this stuff springs out of, you know, these, these conflicts and stuff that, um, yeah. And I think all of, all of it on some level ties in together. Yes. Yes, it most definitely does. And again, it goes, and a lot of it too is media driven. Uh, we gave the example of the race, te- of race-based tensions. The only re- way that the race-based tensions can exist is if you have a premise of race, right? But that too is, is you know, uh, having other people identify you or define you as being something. You're black, you're white, you know, you're yellow. I mean, if you people go and research the history of, of race, um, prior to the 1600s, the concept of race as we know it today, uh, meaning genetic skin color, phenotype, so forth, did not exist. Um, it is a modern day day invention. So if you went back and said, "I'm of the black race or of the white race," it's so ridiculous too. Just the terminology: white, black, red race. You go back and research this stuff. I mean, they said the yellow race. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Yeah. Um, if you went back in time, you had a time machine. People would look at you as if you were absolutely insane. But see, what has happened is that the, the, the concept, it's just a concept, it's not a reality. The concept of race has done much in terms of creating the divide, the massive divide that we experience here as a species amongst each other. And in order to control people, you will have to divide them amongst each other and keep them in a state of conflict. And this is precisely what has taken place for us. And see, again, this is def- not having a self-identity, but to have someone else define you. This goes for black people and white people or any other group of people. That to or have the genders, the genders, yes, genders are yes. pitted against each other. Every That's, every group is pitted against each other in this in this culture to the extreme, you know. Yes, and much of it is media driven too, by the way, because under normal circumstances, if you raise a baby with another baby, a lot of these these conflicts simply would not exist if they're not exposed to the programming, whether it is exposed from their parents or exposed from the television or the movies or in the school system or in the, you know, uh, I don't know, in the, in the religious institution, whatever the case may be how we interact with each how we would have interacted with each other as human beings would be much much different it would be much more wholesome um there would be a a, a much more um positive wholesome interaction amongst us as a species but the manipulation is so deep and it's been going on for such a long time that it becomes difficult for us to to establish and maintain those types of relationships but it doesn't mean that it's not that it's impossible because it is possible but again we have to get to the point of mental sovereignty to where we can look at how we are relating to each other we can look at how we are identifying ourselves how we how we define other people too by the way look at it critically and ask ask the critical question is it really in our our best interest as a species. And the truth of the matter is, is that much of the programming that we receive that divides us, whether it's genders, whether it's race, whether it's religion, whatever the case may be, or sexual preference, whatever the case may be, much of that is simply not in our best interest uh, as a species to fight and fuss over and to be divided on. You're a Democrat, I'm a Republican. Totally irrelevant. It is totally irrelevant. Although so many of us, we buy into it, especially right now, as we're getting closer to the presidential election season, you can expect more people to become more and more involved with the the ridiculousness, if you will, of it all. Yeah, like uh, I see it as people not developing on on an interpersonal level and not really discovering their own identity in, in a real, you know, defined way. And so they're susceptible to looking at these superficial, shallow, uh, um, 
traits or or things about you know that that that, that make up a human being and focus on those or mm-hmm. like a political identity or Republican Democrat or something yes. like that like you know t- tied into the to the scripted sort of false left right paradigm thing so so you just choose a side and and latch on to that. And I, I, yeah, I think that's a, that's a byproduct of, of of people not actually maturing or not actually well, I, yeah. developing yeah, I normally. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's juvenile in essence. It's really because yeah. yeah. it's all superficial crap, you know. It, that, it, it really that is. People latch on to get into whatever it is, whatever club or whatever it is, <laughs> and, <laughs> whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No matter what it is or what it's based on, you know, it's it's, it's it's usually something just like super shallow and super and and superficial. Yes. But uh, yeah, we've been talking for two and a half hours. Oh wow, it's gone by very very quickly too. I must yeah. say. Yeah. Seems like it always. I get into an interesting conversation like this, and and it's like, wow, I can't believe how you just completely lose track of time. It's yeah. pretty. It's, but it, yes. What uh, uh, what what is your website? Do you have like a, a central repository of yes. information? Yes, yes. So let me just give my information. I'm on Facebook under Lennon Honor and Twitter under Lennon Honor. L e n o n h o n o r. Uh, I also have a YouTube page under Linen Honor, and I'm doing more there now uh, because I'm promoting my website and premium membership on my website. We do premium members on my website uh, Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays at least. We usually do more than that. Um, we also have audio downloads, and we have like two and a half, actually three, almost three and a half years of worth of content there for premium members on the website on LennonHonor.com. Um, and that website is mainly dedicated to – there's a media manipulation there, too. I have my documentary series, The Truth About Subliminal Messages, How to Protect Your Subconscious Mind, also the Global Motion Picture Stage Show, um, Media Manipulation 101. These are series of, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight-hour-long documentary works there. Um, but, all, but mainly, com at this point, it's really to help people to establish positive relationships. Uh, what, it mean, what does it mean to be a man, a father, a husband, um, health, nutrition, uh, I can go on and on and on and on and on because there's a lot of content there. Um, my wife also, she does videos there as well, cooking shows, uh, all kinds of stuff. Um, but then I also have another website, LennonHonorFilms.com, and that's where all of my initial work was uploaded, um, dealing with uh, media manipulation, symbolism, subliminal messages. The problem, though, with that is that I've been trying to get that website functional again, and I've been going back and forth with Yahoo for about a month now, and we still have not been able to make the website work as it used to. So I'm still working on that, but if you, I would encourage people because it should get fixed at a certain point. Just keep that in mind, LennonHonorFilms.com, once that website is back up and running properly, all of my documentary work, which is probably about six or seven years worth of documentary work, a lot of content there. It will be all up there. You can view it for free. You can also download um, those documentaries there for free as well. So that's something else for people to look into if you're interested in the media manipulation, mind control, subliminal messages, so forth and so on. Wow, great. Yeah, I yeah, I highly recommend those. I mean, there's some really good stuff. Um, yeah, really in-depth and really good food for thought there. Um, yeah, I appreciate it. I really appreciate, you know, you coming on here and, and, and going into this subject that I think is really important, you know, the, the whole subliminal manipulation and how it, how it affects us and, uh, you know, how this stuff works and why it's done, you know, mm-hmm. I think, it, I think it's really good to 
to, to go into this and yeah, it's, it's really, yeah, you really helped me a lot with my understanding of things. No, I'm glad to be of service. I'm glad to be of service. Yeah, well, you never really know who you're impacting, so it's good to know that you know I'm, I'm helping. Uh, you know, at the very least, a few people. <laughs> yeah, that, you never know, huh? Yeah, you never know what what you know. You just kind of put a, put put something out there, and then you know, you never know who. Yeah, how it's gonna affect people or what's what, what's gonna happen, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, we all play a role. We all play our part. And I'm thankful that you, uh, Chris, and, and, of course, John, too, was on the call earlier, that you both are, are playing your part. And uh, I look forward to uh, future conversations, which I really did enjoy this. Intellectually speaking, I found it to be quite stimulating. So thank you so much for having me. I really do appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, I, yeah, me too. Same same here. I, I uh, Yeah, hopefully we could do this again. I, I, yeah, I'd really like to do that. Yeah, I, I, think, I think that would be great. Um, so you got, did you say you got, uh, something in the works that you're going to be coming out with, uh, uh, or, or was that, um, or you, you said that you just, you just got through doing a, a video, uh, uh, that you uploaded. Yes. Uh, well, I, uh, these are videos. I have videos that I put up on YouTube. I'm doing, trying to do more on YouTube, but I also have videos that I put up on uh, my website for premium members. So people have to sign up to become a premium member. But I just finished another book. Um, I have the 911 Fear-Based Mind Control Program. All of my books, you can find them on LennonHonor.com. Um, for anyone who's interested, you can find those on LennonHonor.com. Um, but the latest book is a book uh, on pregnancy. It's titled Pregnancy Support, What a Man Must Know, What a Woman Should Expect. Uh, and this is a, 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 you know, it's an informational book that will help men and women to prepare for the pregnancy experience, the birthing experience, uh, the labor, the birthing experience, and then also postpartum and all the lessons that I learned through my journey of being a father for the last 11 plus years. And there's a lot that I had to learn in my life, um, you know, with, with my wife in essence, uh, that I, I would, it would have benefited me had I learned earlier. And in particular, if my father had taught me those types of things, my backstory, my father wasn't in my life as a positive force up to the age of 13. He was a drug addict, uh, alcoholic, abusive to my mother. Um, he was on crack at a certain point, And by the time he was 13, he had done so much destruction in our household. Um, he was expelled from the home, and I had to grow up from the age of 13 without having a, that male presence, even though when he was in my life, he was a very destructive force. So there's a lot that I didn't learn so that by the time I meet my wife. There was a lot of traumas that I had to heal. Here we go again. I had to process a lot of those childhood traumas, and so I can get myself on, on the right path towards being a man and, and being a, a dedicated husband as, uh, and a dedicated father. And so, uh, what happened was that um, fatherhood was a lesson. I had to learn a lot on the fly. I didn't have that source to go to. So in my book, I outline the types of lessons that I've learned. It's going to help a lot of men and help a lot of women too. But then the pregnancy component, once my wife became pregnant with our first child, and I was 27 years old, she was 23, um, there was a lot that I did simply did not understand, a lot of mistakes that I made. So what I did was over the last 11 years, what I've learned, actually 12 years now, what I've learned in terms of pregnancy, everything I've learned about pregnancy, how to probably support my wife during pregnancy, overcoming uh, all of the programming that I had in, in my mind, the negative program that I had in my mind in terms of what it meant, meant to be a man, what it means to, to support a woman during pregnancy, what it means to have sexual discipline. I had to really deal with those issues and then, then ultimately learn some very viable lessons. And I put those lessons inside this most recent book. So that's my most recent project. I've also been lecturing. Um, I was in Philadelphia uh, last month, the month before I was in, um, in, in the United Kingdom in England. And then I'll be in Sacramento in a couple of months. And then I'll be in L.A. in a couple of months. And so I've been lecturing as well. So right now, um, uh, the main 
production is going to be dealing with uh, Linden Honor Films on YouTube and then also, of course, premium members. But I'm always working on something. There's always something to produce to help people. Wow, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. I, oh, yeah. I, like I said, I highly recommend it and I uh, hope people go check out your material. And uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I really appreciate you, you being on here today. And um, I think it was like really worthwhile discussion myself oh, i really yeah. enjoyed it Definitely. chris thank you so much brother i really appreciate the opportunity and i look forward to the next one i really do thanks so much okay you you have a good you have a good uh rest of the week and everything you too brother take care okay take care peace bye okay round two name something that's not boring a laundry oh a book club computer solitaire huh Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.